This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and I'm going to introduce my co-host for the episode, Mr. Sean Abuse Puppy Morgan. Uh, he writes for 3++ is the new black, and Frontline Gaming, um, he's actually one of one of the better writers on both sites, in my opinion. Uh, specifically, if you read a lot of his Tau content, I feel like that he's most popular for that. Uh, say hi, abuse puppy, Sean. Hey, Bob Lowe. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you for coming on and co-hosting. Uh, a lot of people uh, find it very difficult to deal with me for more than 30 or 40 minutes, so <laughs> you are a brave soul. I try to be. <laughs> so, today's episode, we're going to be talking about chapter approved. It's pretty much strictly chapter approved. There's no tournament news. In the beginning of the episode, I usually like to include something like that. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about a game I played with Reese and just some tactics errors that I made and uh, some just some some general things because I played against his orcs and it was his orcs versus my chaos space or versus a chaos space brain army that we have in the studio. Uh, it was very interesting. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that game. I definitely got stomped, so spoiler, sorry, if you were wondering. Um, it's also a battle report that's going to come out, and I think it'll come out the same episode, same day this episode airs, so I probably just spoiled it for a few people, but it's not that big of a deal. It's all about the journey, not the ending. Losing's a good way to learn a lot of things. That is, so. that is absolutely true, and I did learn a lot. And then we're going to talk about chapter approved. We're going to talk about what each faction got, the good, the bad, the ugly, and how it's going to affect the 8th edition tournament meta. And then I'll probably bug Sean for some LVO predictions. Sean is in the know. He knows what's up. He knows what armies are good, what players are up and good, and up-and-comers. So Sean definitely has a grasp on who may or may not win the LVO. Um, so we're going to talk about that and Chapter Approved. And then afterwards, I interviewed Reese for his opinions on Chapter Approved. Uh, and I have to say, he is... He is uh, fighting the salt online with his own <laughs> brand of Reese saltiness. There's a lot of salt out there right oh, now. There's a lot. And uh, Reese is going to answer to some of the saltiest of salty haters out there. Um, he's just going to give his opinion on chapter approved and uh, basically bust some fallacies that have been bouncing around online or so he says. Uh, so that'll be after the commercial break. Anyways, Sean onto the game I played. So I'm interested to hear about it. So I have I had a, a Contemptor Dreadnought Chaos Space Marine Sons of Horus army. Uh, it was it's an army mm. that we picked up through the secondhand shop, and it's actually for 
<coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I think a fly flew in my mouth. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, jeez. Random. But, uh... <laughs> um, it was the Sons of Horus army that we picked up from the second-hand shop. And it, it was more of a showcase of the army, because we are selling it. And if you're interested in a beautifully painted... <laughs> 30k Sons of Horus Army. We are selling one. Uh, there's a lot of models. It's very big. We're taking offers on it. Um, or we're taking offers on the army that you guys see in that battle report. But I built this list together um, I, for two reasons. One, I, I wanted, I've wanted i always wanted to run a Dreadnought Army. Um, so the list was the three Contemptor Dreadnoughts. Two of them had twin auto cannons. One was just the Dreadclaw or Chainclaw Contemptor Dreadnought. Because Chainclaws are, mm. with Chapter approved, they're just strictly better than Dreadclaws now. Um, because Dreadclaws, you have to pay points for both of them. I think they're 45 points each. But with Chainclaw, it's, I think it's like a little bit more expensive, but for two, it's cheaper. It's like 45 oh. points for the Chainclaw and 55 points for both. And then, Interesting. Yeah, and then for both the Dreadclaws, I think they're 35 points each. So you're, you end up paying 15 more points for the Dreadclaw pair, but the Dreadclaws are strictly worse than the Chainclaws because they have the exact same stat line like they don't get anything special they don't have minus one to hit or anything but the chain claws are just an extra strength and an extra damage so it's like yeah. you, would, you would never ever take the dread claws over chain claws ever and no one even knows what a chain claw looks like i think i was looking on forge <laughs> and i couldn't find them um so i think i think that's uh, a little silly but there's a lot of forge world weapons for v models that are out of print these days yeah there's a lot there's absolutely a lot so I had those three Contemptor Dreadnoughts, and then I also brought a Derodeo Dreadnought, uh, and I loaded him up to the bones. The Butcher Cannon Array got cheaper. The Derodeo Dreadnought in general got a little cheaper. Um, so I wanted to bring that because I really like the model, and with the Fire Frenzy rule from the Chaos Space Marine Stratagems, they have the Hellroot rule now, so they get to shoot twice at the closest I thing. have actually had a question about that that is not super clear. The stratagem does not use the bolded version. Mm. It merely uses the unbolded word Hellbrute as uh -oh. opposed to the bolded keyword. So there's a lot of argument over whether or not you can actually use it on the Forge World Dreads. Are there named Hellbrutes? Are Hellbrutes named that in their data sheet? Yeah, they're oh, then... named Hellbrute, but uh, they have the Hellbrute keyword also. Well, well then I cheated, guys. I apologize. This is why, <laughs> this is why we lose, so that we can learn things like this <laughs> but um but yeah so then i definitely cheated on that end uh I, oh. I i would apologize to reese but he stomped my cheating ass into the ground so i don't think it's, it's karma that <laughs> um so anyways so i brought the derradeo uh because it puts out a lot of firepower and then also brought a fire raptor uh chaos space marine fire raptor because they got a lot cheaper so did the space marine fire raptor they both got a lot cheaper so i wanted to see how well they did uh, and the Contemptor Dreadnoughts also got cheaper as well. And then I brought some Chosen with Plasma Guns and a Rhino. And then a Terminator Lord, a Warpsmith, and I think that was... Oh, and a squad of 10 Chaos Space Marine Terminators to deep strike down mm. and kill something. So it's a very, very simple list. Um, not too crazy. Has a cool Death Star unit. Has the Dreadnoughts. Uh, fairly well. Reese played it with his orcs. I don't remember his orc list off the top of my head, but you guys can find it online on that battle report. So, uh, essentially, uh, sorry, were you going to say something, Sean? Uh, I was just, I was curious about, uh, I haven't seen or Reese play his orcs, so I wasn't sure what you were, uh, what he was bringing on that end of things. Oh, okay, well, from memory, he had, he had a three units of, uh, boys and trucks, so they were filled to the brim with, with boys, um, three trucks, a 15-man uh, 
Luda squad, which actually did a lot of work, um, not shooting, which was hilarious, on the, in the wow. battle wagon. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, well, I'll go over it. It's actually really funny how, how much the Ludas did. Um, but the he had the Ludas in the battle wagon, and 15 Ludas in a battle wagon, hit some Grots, and five more Ludas hiding in a corner. And then he mm-hmm. had uh, two big 30-man units of boys, and sandwiched between them, he had an Orc Wall Banner, two Weird Boys, a War Boss, and a Pain Boy. That's so a fairly standard orc. stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing crazy. Um, no no Stompas, no War Tracks, you know, mm-hmm. no, no Commandos, no Storm Boys. Just a, a very, very, I would say a very traditional Orc list. Um, yeah. The trucks and the large amount of boys with the war bosses and the knobs randomly in there. You know, it's a very more of a traditional orc list. But we ran that list. A uh, lot of bodies, lots and lots of bodies. Outnumbered me, my models like five to one or something silly. <clears throat> so that's orcs for you. Oh yeah, definitely. And it it was really good. Uh, my turn one shooting, I killed both squads down to both of the big squads down to to ten ish, give or take boys so i killed a lot of boys turn one i didn't kill any units um but the mm-hmm. i was really surprised by how much damage and how many shots the dreadnoughts put out because uh, the the dread claw the chain claw dreadnoughts have two combi bolters so they put out four shots in rapid fire range um which isn't uh, they put out eight shots in rapid fire range sorry um yeah. and then the twin auto cannon dreadnoughts put out a lot of shots and the daredale put out a ton of shots and the fire raptor obviously did its work um so it, it, it basically, I had a lot of DACA. The Terminators came down on one flank, and my my idea was was because he had both thirty man boys boy units spread out. I essentially needed to kill like forty to fifty boys to get one to pop to morale and the other to um, burn command points. So that was my thought right. process, right? Because because if you shoot one unit of boys down to zero boys, which I didn't actually have the line of sight to be able to kill just one unit, um, so I had to split my firing. But mm-hmm. but my thought process was so that if I can kill them both down to like ten models, um, you know, one even with the war boss, I think they'll still lose some dudes, and then the other has to spend two command points so they don't die um, to morale. I think that yeah, was my you can thought make process. Them burn a lot of resources on that, right? Um, and then I killed a lot of his boys, and and then that would enable me to push into the center of the board, which is important in this edition. Um, so that was my thought process. It didn't actually work out. What happened was he the terminators came down he shot all of his lutas into the terminators and killed one hmm. it was it was terrible um so okay. on his turn so his turn the lutas he moved all his characters um he knew I was going for his characters next turn and sniping them with the fire raptors so he wisely moved all of his characters away and hid them all so the fire raptor couldn't kill them moved his trucks up to go to the middle of the board um and then my chosen with the plasma guns kind of moved up to to shoot some orcs, and I kind of put them in a bad position. Um, and essentially, what happened was he hid for his turn one, shot nothing at the terminators, and then my turn two, I moved the terminators up and into a building so that they wouldn't be shot again by the lutas because I didn't I didn't realize how bad their shooting was, or I didn't realize how <laughs> devastating their shooting could be, so I didn't want to take that extra yeah. risk. Um, so I moved the terminators into a building closer to the middle of the board and then i basically moved everything up and was getting ready for him to rush the middle of the board like i knew he would so on his turn uh I, he did a really brilliant move in that he moved the lutas out of the battle wagon three inches and then moved them six inches and then they made a nine inch charge into my terminators into the building 
and hmm. killed like six models. Because Luda's with wow. he gave them the plus one attack <laughs> with the weird boy with the weird yeah. boy spell, and then he moved a he teleported his other his other thirty man unit that was worth two command point or two victory points in the ITC missions. He teleported mm-hmm. it behind a building in my line so he could get recon. And because I had all vehicles, I couldn't like I couldn't charge them and I couldn't see them and I didn't really have the movement to get around them, around to shoot at them, uh, because right. I had so many of the targets to shoot at. So essentially, he essentially uh, surrounded me, chart tied up the terminators, killed a bunch of them with the Ludas, and then took over the middle of the board in both of the large buildings. And I was like, oh well, I'm I'm kind of screwed now because I don't have anything that can kill these guys. Uh, and then from there, it all went downhill. Um, really, really fast. My my lord had I took the murder sword against his war boss, and then I went into his war boss, who who took some unlucky uh, hits from a from the rhino. The rhino did two hits and two wounds to him, so it brought him into murder sword death range. But the murder sword whiffed and only did three mortal wounds. And then the Ouch. pain boy blew up the rhino and killed my lord, and only did wow. one wounds to his war boss. It was bad. It was like. It was just a ripple effect, um, and then my pretty much my dreadnoughts were tied up by boys. Um, the dreadnoughts actually, the Derradeo died to the war boss, but other than that, the dreadnoughts lived pretty much the whole game. Like they were pretty much untouched by the orcs, um, so they're, they're really good. At, so, so contemptors re- are tough. Oh, they're so tough. That that was actually the whole point. The whole reason I brought up this game was contemptor dreadnoughts, Hellforge contemptor dreadnoughts are really really good. Um, when you give them two two chain claws they're cheap they're under 150 points they move nine inches which is crazy mm-hmm. they have yeah. an invuln save they're they're t7 um with yeah. 10 or 11 wounds and they have five attacks and whenever they kill a model in close combat on a five up they get a wound back yeah regening those wounds oh, can be crazy. really big in the late game oh yeah so i i kind of have a renewed vigor for seeing contemptor dreadnoughts on the board because i love the models um, and I think that there's something viable there uh, if, if you're running like, because they move nine inches with the dance roll. Um, and if you make them Black Legion, they can advance and still shoot their Storm Bolter or their, their Bolters at uh, Assault 2. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, that's not terrible. That's, that's pretty good. I have um, also seen players have some success uh, running them with the, the Double Fist and Soul Burners underneath. Which the basic soul burner not only causes mortal wounds on every hit, it does not have the overheat feature like the bigger ones do. Uh oh, that's cool. Did this? I think the soul burners went up in points, though. I don't recall offhand. Let's find out. They may have. Yeah, the I know they. Burner, had... The soul burner went up to thirty points from I think uh, okay. twenty. It was fifteen or twenty before. Yeah, it, was, it was probably too cheap. But, yeah, but um. But either way, I mean, they're still they're still really, really even at thirty points, you know, it's, you're it's basically still a good gun. Them, yeah, oh yeah, that's crazy. But just for the extra mortal wounds, basically gives you a little yes. smite battery, um, which is big. Mortal wound shooting is huge. Armies that have access to it is it's just a really big thing to have around. Absolutely, uh, just being able to even like uh, biovores, which we have to have a oh, yeah. episode. Um, but biovores right now are are terrifying. Uh, there was yes. a game when when Frankie was playing with biovores against Reese's army. Um, I think it was against his Eldar, um, or was it against uh, was Reese running Magnus? I'm not I'm not sure. But but Reese had like the avatar of Cain or Magnus or something, some big you know 
close combat character guy. model thing and was charging at Frankie or moving the, up the board at Frankie and Frankie shot nine Biovore shots at it and the model had a minus one to hit um, and Frankie moved his Biovores and he surrounded mm-hmm. that model with, with spore mines so it couldn't move and then the model was like, oh, well, I can't move and I really don't want to charge these spore mines so it just sat there and all the spore mines moved in to combat with it and blew up and killed it. It was just like, yeah. like I don't know. The how you... utility on getting a sh- the spore mine even when you miss is fantastic. It's, a, it's insane. It's really powerful. And they do mortal wounds. And they yeah. don't give up any points when they die. That's, yeah. It's just... So, guys, get your buy your biovores. For, for every Dark Reaper you guys are buying online on eBay for like $70, buy <laughs> biovores. Because those are also hard to find. And people are buying them up like, a, like crazy right now. Um, You're going to see a ton of them at LVO, yeah. I'm sure. Yes, and spore mines too. You'll see a lot of spore yeah. mines. Uh, so, so that's definitely something. But, but you're right, Sean. Mortal wounds shooting, especially shooting, is crazy powerful. It's insane. I think another thing that game kind of illustrates, and I'm not sure how to what degree you took this away, is that something people forget about orcs a lot is every one of their units is dangerous in close combat. Mm-hmm. From just the crappiest little basic five boys will wipe out a lot of squads on the charge, all the way up to you know a huge mob of 30. Every one of those things is a danger to you. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually my point about the Ludas, is the Ludas, their shooting did nothing. Their, their shooting, they, they, they killed one Terminator all game with shooting, but when they got out, because they were the closest model to charge those Terminators, and those Terminators were in position to stand just inside the building and charge his army with in combination with my Dreadnoughts shooting. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was looking bad for him, so he needed to tie up those Terminators. Um, so yeah, the Ludas, they, have, they had like four attacks each, uh, I think re-rolling ones. Oh no, they were hitting on twos because of the Wah Banner. That's what it was. Wog banner. Yeah. yeah. So, so they were hitting on twos. So, you know, he put up 45 attacks into my Terminators, hitting on twos, wounding on fours. And, I mean, like, I started failing two-up saves really fast. And then he also charged yeah. another infantry squad into him as well, or another orc mm-hmm. squad. So it was just, it's like, you can't, you know, you can't really do that. You can't really deal with that well. And they're also, they're T4, and in close combat, when when you're when you're getting charged with your chump stuff, with T4 models, like, you're not going to kill easily. No matter what the T4 no. model, it could be scouts into scouts, you know, berserkers into whatever, etc. Like, if you're swinging back at them, you, you're not going to hurt them as well. It's just not going to happen. You just, you don't have the weight of attacks to really right. be carving those guys apart. Right. So, so it's, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty annoying. I didn't think loot is, if I, in hindsight, I, I will never let an orc unit with 10 or more models charge me if I can help it again. That that was in hindsight. I thought, those Ludas, they can charge me, but my Terminators will just make mincemeat of them. It's going to be easy. It's mm. no <laughs> big deal. I was completely wrong. Orcs are really, really good right now. And you're right. Um, all of their models are, are all of their units with, with, I think with 10 or more models, because I think five boys probably isn't that dangerous. But now I know in the future I'm going to play some work player, and five boys are going to like kill Gilliman. And I'm going to be like, well, shit. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I think it depends a little bit on what faction you are. You know, I play a lot of Eldar and Tau, so five boys is enough to wipe out practically anything I put on the table. <laughs> but that's true. That's true. Um, and here's the other cool thing about orcs is um, their uh, mech, their pain boy. Uh, I'm sorry, and their big mech combined give them a five plus invul and a five plus feel no pain. 
um, which obviously against multi uh, large damage uh, shooting isn't that great, um, like auto cannons, etc. But it's really good good against things designed to kill infantry, uh, like storm bolters, for example. Right, so you're already hitting on threes, um, you're wounding on fours, so there's more than half of your shots already gone. And then on top of that, you have a five plus five plus, which is essentially mathematically a little bit better than a four plus. Um, so you're losing half is, your shots from saves. Is the pain boy five up? I thought he was a six, but I could well, be might, wrong. He there. might be a six up. I think, I think he's a right. six, think but a six the the five up six up with the the pain boy and uh, KFF combined is very frustrating. Yes. Uh, it just it shrugs off so much of that fire you're hoping to whittle them down with. Absolutely. Um, so, sorry, I'm just doing some quick math. Math. You're uh, looking at like 45 percent uh, rate of yeah. of shrugging off damage, 20, which is practically a four up save. Yeah, it's yeah. it's about you, you'll you'll save a one in every four, roughly. Mm -hmm. A little bit more than one in every four. So yeah, that's really good. Um, and and that's you know that's just another thing that you have to worry about with orcs when you've got all these bodies rushing at you. Um, so I don't know, orcs are really good. We had last week we had a really good orc player, Val Heffelfinger, come on. Was it? I think it was last week. Uh, no, I'm sorry, next a few weeks ago, about a month I think ago. It was two. Yeah. About a, about a month ago now, and then we will have him on in December sometime as well. Um, but. I, I will pick his brain for any of you orc players who are maybe a little bit more interested in what he has to say. But I think the orc faction is criminally underrated. And um, I think that's actually the case with a lot of factions. And I think a lot of people are kind of tied up in this, I have to run this to win mentality, when I don't think that's the case. There are a lot more factions that are closer to the top than people give them credit for these days. It's it's hard to argue that there aren't a handful of factions that are consistently taking the top. But unlike 7th edition, I think there are a lot of factions that can really play for wins at like RTT and GT level events. Okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that that's kind of why you see more diversity in the top eights. Um, but having mm. said all that, speaking of those forgotten factions let's go ahead and move <laughs> into the chapter approved review uh, so yeah. we're, this is a there's a lot of rules in this book um so for those of you who who are saying that it is just an faq um i think i think to clarify or to further add to that statement it's only an faq um if you if you only use it for the points and for the extra rules other than that it's actually have a, has a lot of stuff for everyone and it's a very if very big if book. you're a codex army it basically is just a points adjustment if you're not a codex army it's big it's you're right and and this is for this was let's face it this chapter approved is for non-codex armies really it really, really is um that and to set the president that gw is going to change points costs on things um which is which i'm glad for yes they're 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 capitalizing on the thing they've been saying they've been telling us for months and months and months so that's good uh so we've known about this book for a long time and let's just jump into it. So each of the factions that don't have a codex yet and are not coming soon that have been announced, so uh, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, and Chaos Demons, who are not in this book, uh, each of those factions that that aren't the fact codex factions and those three factions got some rules. Uh, they got relics, they got warlord traits, and they got psychic powers. I think I think some of them got psychic powers. Maybe not. There were one or two psychic powers mixed in there, but they're well hidden. Yeah. So so uh, let's go and start with Adeptus Sororitas. 
the the sisters of the sisters of battle. I almost said sisters of silence. The sisters of battle. Yeah, uh, not they, quite. <laughs> there was a little bit of a nerf to sisters um, in the point section, which we'll get to later. Um, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy excited for for their warlord for their uh, warlord trait. Um, it, it can be really useful. It's, it's essentially it's it's and they shall know no fear. Um, you were taking Celestine, and if you were making Celestine your warlord, I think that that was probably not the best idea. But if you were making her your warlord, she has access to I think a better warlord trait than the plus one attack. But um, I'm not honestly. Sure. I would still go with the uh, fact the base rulebook traits most of the time on Celestine. Yeah. She's not forced to take the unique traits, unlike the uh, unique characters out of codexes. Uh, but she has it an, uh, as an option. So if you are running like a pair of ten man uh, Seraphim or something like that alongside her, you have access to a tool. Yes, and. Uh, I think the number one winner for the Sisters of Battle is they got arguably one of the top five stratagems in the game right now, uh, which is for the sure. Purity of Faith stratagem, which is on a four plus, they deny a power within 24 inches of any Adeptus Sororitas unit. Um, and th- this Ooh. is already really powerful, right? Just being able to deny power, especially in this meta. Um, go ahead, Sean. You know, for one character point, it's just out of control. It's it's insane. And here's something that I, I I've I've been thinking that makes this power better than all the others is that it, you actually have it actually is easier to use um, because you don't have to take in uh, an underused or an underpowered faction to use it, right? So like with the Black yeah. Templars, I, I run Black Templar scouts, um, which means I have to put them in their own detachment and they won't benefit from their chapter tactic. And they're they're kind of odd ducks, and I also have to paint other Space Marine models different colors. Um, so it's just it's a little bit more of a pain. And it, this is the same thing with corn with corn uh, world leaders models. Same yeah. thing with the Chaos Space Marines. World leaders aren't that great. They're okay. Um, and world leaders don't really want or have access to models that can move up the board and really make full use of that stratagem. Um, so, so you don't really, you can't really use it, that strategy to its full effect with world leaders, but with sisters, not only do you have dominion squads, basically your whole army moving, which can, you know, basically your whole army moves up, but you also have Celestine who, who uses this stratagem fantastically. She can shut down smites that, that hurt her. She can move up twice, 24 inches and shut down key characters. She's right up in their face. Like, what's up? I'm going to kill you in close combat, but first I'm going to stop your prescience. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, the fact that they have so many aggressive units that are able to get in and be within range to use this power is a very strong tool. Yeah, and it's also any unit. It doesn't have to be a Black Templar sister or a Bl- Order of the Bloody Rose Adeptus Sororitas model. It's just any Adeptus Sororitas model, and that that's yep. that's huge. Um, so you, you just build your sister's army, and you have this free thing that each of your sister's units has access to and it's a it's a really good thing um i th- i think it's going to push a lot of people to have a pure sister's detachment whereas before celestine has been hanging out in an imperium detachment with other folks yeah and, and i do like that they introduced the like the the relic isn't let's just talk about the relic the relic's nothing mm. to write home about it's okay um it replaces a power sword which is very common in sisters armies because they don't have a lot of other options and it's three damage good strength and it's power sword ap so it's 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 okay it's not amazing um they'll probably have a better relic when they get a codex but for now it's it's not bad 
But the three damage is a very interesting feature because it hits very hard when the hits go through. That is true. And the plus two strength means you're wounding most things, uh, most things that matter, most characters that matter on threes or fours. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if you want to, if you want your cannonists to go out character sniping. I don't, I don't know if the cannonist is really built for that because you can't, you don't have jump packs anymore. Um, and no. you, you can't take it on Celestine. So, so it really works well against opposing characters. And, um, but unfortunately they don't have a model designed to take on opposing characters. And the only thing you could possibly use it for really is vehicles, but strength five isn't really, you, it's you not know, enough like, to uh, really scare a vehicle yeah, very not, much. Not really like, yeah, you'll do three damage. So it's, so it's a little, a little underwhelming, but the reason why I like that they made the stratagem, the most powerful thing that sisters got is because it, like you said, encourages pure sisters armies to play pure sisters armies and it gave buffs to players who are actually running sisters people players like ken eubanks um and frankie mm -hmm. players who were doing really well with these sisters armies um who got a little extra benefit for running those sisters armies if we can uh do a quick aside on the other stratagem uh which i have seen a lot of people make a very important mistake on uh, because the, the whole unit of, uh, Celestine and her two little Gemini buddies is, are all characters. A lot of people have been trying to do some shenanigans with, oh, I lose one of my Gemini and now I'll trigger this act of faith and Celestine will like charge into a unit or whatever. Uh, but that stratagem has a clause where you have to remove the whole unit as a casualty when you use it. So... <laughs> Do not lose one of your uh, Gemini and then pull Celestine as a casualty in order to get an act of faith. That is a bad plan. No, I mean, that, I, I actually really like that. That that's I can see some people trying to do that, um, and I like that they added that little thing at the end. Or It's a necessary little clause. Oh, yeah, because you can't have the Gemini dying and then you just, for free, essentially getting an extra act of faith. Like, acts of faith yeah. are... They're huge, you know. They're they're, they're so strong. They're equivalent of orders or chapter tactics, right? So this oh, they're better than that. They are the Yanari soul burst. Only you don't have to have a unit die, right? But they're also limited. But but you know, sure. You mean, mean pre nerf Yanari soul burst? The, yes. They're you know it got it got a little more limited. So now it's more in line with with I think what GW envisions that kind of mechanic mm -hmm. to be. But anyways, uh, so, but you're, thank you for pointing that out, Sean. I would have missed that. And I definitely would have lost a Celestine. Um, if I had done that, I would have been like, oh yeah, my Gemini gives Celestine an act of faith and boom. And then my opponent would be like, actually you removed the whole unit. So thanks for the free warlord kill, brah. Right. It would have happened. So now it's, it's not going to happen. Maybe. It's it's one of those things that kind of emphasizes, I think, the key skill of 40k, which is reading the actual rules. Not something <laughs> a lot of rule. players that's do. Skill. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge skill. Something we all need to learn. No, moving on to Death Watch. Um, Death Watch. I actually love the Death Watch stuff. It's not, they don't jump out to you as overpowered. And the faction is so bad that unfortunately yeah. you're not going to make full use of these. However, Death Watch have old special issue ammunition and it's, they're really good. Their special ammunition is is actually pretty good. Um and they have access to all of the all of the cool stuff Space Marines get. Um and I think if 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 it isn't in the index, um I don't have the index on me handy unfortunately, but 
If it isn't an index already, I think GW announced that they're going to give them access to like Primaris Marines and Stormhawk Interceptors. Mm. Basically, they're, they're going to become a Space Marine faction with all the cool Space Marine stuff plus their own stuff, like Dark Angels and Space Wolves and Blood Angels. That's good. I'm glad a lot of the minor Space Marines are getting access to more of the toys. That is nice to see. Right, like, like Blood Angels should definitely have access to... Um, centurions right like blood angels would have sure. centurions somewhere uh you know or like gray knights should have access to fire raptors like i, I could see a gray knight fire um, raptor unfortunately i don't think um, they can take fire raptors they have very specifically ruled against that one of my friends is the top gray knight player in uh itc actually i think she's not top knight now but she probably will be as soon as a couple scores get submitted shaylin shaylin's also yes. one of those players who reads her rules she knows her rules inside and out um, yes but but that's so that's unfortunate they can't that certain factions still can't take other forge world things but I, I do see gw moving and trending towards allowing space marine chapters to take all of the cool space marine stuff but death watch so for those for for those of you death watch players all two of you uh <laughs> let me tell you something you guys got a one command point version of i think the best stratagem in the game and that's death to the alien Oh, it's only in the fight phase. Never mind, it's not that good. I apologize. So, uh, Death to the Alien is essentially it does the same thing with the exploding sixes that Chaos and Imperium get access to, although the Imperium get the weaker version of it, which is it's only in the fight phase, and Chaos get the full the full crazy strength of it, where it's in the shooting phase and the fight phase, but it's only against Imperium models. Um, and I think that's not I think that's not a stratagem. I think that's just something they get. I think it's Death to the False uh... Emperor. Death of the False Emperor only triggers in the fight phase, but it can apply to shooting attacks that are made out of sequence. There you go. That's what it was. Um, so, anyways, so Death to the Alien is in the fight phase when you're fighting something that isn't Imperium or Chaos or Unaligned. On a 6+, you make an immediate extra attack with the same weapon that that you rolled a 6-plus with. So it's so it's exploding 6s in close combat against things. That's That's not... In close combat, that's not that good. See, I was thinking, in my head, I didn't read the fight phase only, so I was thinking, like, you could drop down with a kill team with their special ammunition, and then just pump, uh, you know, anything, like, a, I don't know, whatever, Moloch, if... or Biovores, or, or uh, Gaunts, or whatever, with, like, Stormbolter shots. Cause if you, you could special ammunition bolters. with it, that would be amazing. That would be insane, right? So, but that was my thought process, is you could drop down with Stormbolters on kill teams, and just obliterate, like, a gaunt unit. Just, yeah. Just gone. One kill team. Now, sadly, yeah. it is only the fate phase, which still makes it a reasonable tool. It is good for clearing out hordes if you have a bigger-sized unit of Death Watch guys. But it's not an overwhelming stratagem. Yeah, unfortunately not. So, uh, the Bane of Monstros Monstrosities is cool. Because um, it's... Characters need help when they're targeting vehicles and monsters anyways so a lot of times characters have access to these high damage but low strength weapons um so <laughs> being able to re-roll to wound roll specifically against vehicles and monsters is pretty big um you know it gives them that extra little damage against vehicles and that's nice and death watch also have access to the largest amount of melee weapons um so not a lot of strength six and higher melee weapons for characters in general. No. So like you say, it makes it very useful. And rerolls to wound are gigantic this yeah. edition. So anything that gives you that is big. Yeah, and, and if you've got a character, you probably already have rerolls to hit anyways if it's a Space Marine character. So exactly. uh, rerolls to wound, you're basically rerolling everything. That's not bad. 
Uh, and then the Beacon Angelus is both exciting and disappointing. It's it's essentially if you played Death Watch in Seventh Edition, it's it hasn't changed at all. It's a relic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of your movement phase, the bearer can teleport a unit to his position, and it can only be an infantry or biker unit. And then that's it. Um, you have to be within six inches of the bearer. So you just teleport someone to your unit. It doesn't teleport a unit automatically. It just teleports a unit to one one uh, this specific guy's position. Um, it's not crazy because they don't have access to anything outside of captains with Terminator armor. I think mm. and librarians with Terminator armor. Um, I don't think they have yeah. jump pack captains. So I be- I know they get Terminator armor. I don't believe they get jump packs on all their guys. I think I made that it's, mistake. But, it's, but yeah. It's interesting that it allows you to pull a unit out of the teleportarium. I can't imagine why you would ever do so since its restrictions are identical to those on the unit in the teleportarium. But it technically is an option, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that is also really funny, too. It's like, well, hey, guys, come to my position. We're like, well, boss, we can just teleport to your position anyways. And he's like, no, use the right. beacon. <laughs> right. Waste this for me. Yeah, it's, it, that is pretty funny. I, I initially read it as being like the Tau stealth beacon that uh, allows you to bring them in within six inches regardless of presence of enemy models, but no, it still has the nine-inch radi- radius. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little silly. So Death Watch, I think, got the short end of the stick again, unfortunately. Eh, they didn't get great. They did, Nothing was going to be enough to save them. It's really just a matter of whether they get anything interesting. And I think the teleporter is at least neat, if not great. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, we'll just have to wait for their codex um, when they get relics and stuff. Uh, I think the Death Watch army has a lot of potential um, because of the fluff and their uniqueness and a lot of the cool gadgets that they get. So I'm looking forward to that, but I'm not. My hopes aren't high. Um, It'll probably be a while before they see a release. Yes. So let's move on to Drukari, uh, the Dark Eldar. Dark Eldar got <laughs> uh, something crazy. Um, and Webway portal yes. is really good. Yes, that. So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll save that for last because I'm sure we both have a lot to say about what dark, how well Dark Eldar can take advantage of that. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, th- their Blood Dancer is really good. Uh, it, it's it's exploding Damn. sixes on a character. Someone was someone mentioned that uh, uh, witch couldn't use it because they have a a weapon that's minus one to hit. And I just want to say that recently I looked at it and you can actually buy and it. To be fair, an inferior weapon, um, but it doesn't have the minus one to hit for the witches. So. Yes, you can you can pick up the agonizer for your succubus, which it works. I just feel like it's not a great design uh, case. It's like it shows that GW didn't quite think that one all the way through. The trade itself is excellent. Three hits on a six is amazing. So if you're actually using it, you're getting a great benefit, especially because later turns of the game, when you're getting the plus one to hit off your uh, Dark Eldar table, you're you know triggering on fives at that point, and suddenly your your HQ becomes pretty monstrous. But you have to buy a downgraded weapon to use that, which is not exciting. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing Reese pointed out, which I had sort of overlooked, was that uh, Lelith Hesperax, their named character, can still use it as her weapons do not give any penalties to hit. And I think if she's the one who takes best advantage of it, she has a lot of attacks. They're pretty decent attacks and she is hitting on twos to start with. So you are likely to put, you know, six, eight, maybe even more hits onto a target with that traits. Right. And, and it makes sense for fluff wise too like she's she's very much a star of the Comerite arenas as they as they uh describe the warlord trait um and then the master regenesis i i see a lot of potential for unfortunately i don't know a lot about the dark eldar character line um but the ability to heal d3 wounds at the beginning of every one of your turns i think they have characters that have access to two up invuln saves still uh, so each of the three Dark Eldar traits is only keyed to one of the three essentially sub-factions, mm-hmm. uh, either Witch Cults, Homunculi Covens, or the uh, – I forget what the Dark Eldar – uh, regular guys are called, but each of them is uh, applicable only to one of the their sub factions. So Master Regenesis only goes on a homunculus. Oh, okay. uh, that said, they do get a four up in Vuln and have a pretty good toughness and wound stat on a homunculi. So it's not worthless on them. Okay, all right. So, uh, but I looked at that and I thought there's some potential there. Um, if only the Dark Eldar had access to some sort of like cool monster character. Uh, GW yeah, that would be big on here, him. Like, like an avatar <laughs> of pain, or I don't know, whatever. That'd be really cool. Dark Eldar needs some love, um, model-wise, I think. Um, but it would be nice. Yeah, unfortunately, I think with the with the Inari, I think that that GW probably just dusted off their hands and called that one done. Um, but that's it. Uh, and then they got one other warlord trait that that's I think worse than Blood Dancer, but still pretty good with the reroll to hit and wound rolls of one. That, that's it's okay. okay. It's not. It's I, the fact that it only applies to the character makes it not super exciting. Uh, it really only highlights the fact that Dark Eldar have no reroll auras otherwise, which really makes them stick out as a faction. But it's an okay trait. It's better than anything in the base book. That's true. And finally, their relic, the Parasite's Kiss. Not much to write home about. It's it's a cute poison two plus pistol that heals you wounds when it kills things uh that's that's okay it's not nothing to write home about um it's it is a two-shot pistol with two damage and ap2 which wounds on a two-up so it's it's not amazing but it's a gun that will do a lot more damage than most people think uh you know you can snipe a terminator with this thing that's that's Um, a good point you could kill two terminators you could kill two Terminators, which is going to put your opponent in a pretty bad place. Right. Um, it's it's not a great relic, but it's an okay relic. Yeah. So let's talk about the Webway Portal. This strategy. It's the big one. And uh, I, th- I think you will find that this is a common theme among Eldar um, because the Harlequins also get it too. So a little mm-hmm. spoiler alert for those of you who are waiting for Harlequins. As a, the Webway Portal essentially it's the same thing as what Eldar get that the Eldar codex so if you're unfamiliar with it stratagem it lets you deep strike either one or two units for one command point or three command points respectively and then that's it and they have to be an infantry or a bike or beast unit i think i think the dark the elder one says the beasts it allows beasts as the dark eldar one which is the distinction between it and the other two versions yes so in, uh, the, the flocks got nerfed to the ground um, and I don't think anyone really uses the Urgles or any of the other beasts. 
They're not they're not terribly exciting, but it does give you the option to bring them in if you really want to. Yeah. Uh, I think the most interesting thing about the uh, Drakari or Dark Eldar version of it is that uh, it, as well as the Harlequin and Eldar versions, are all distinct stratagems. So you could potentially deep strike six different Eldari units, uh, two each from each of the three factions, if you're willing to pay out the nose on command points. What, what's um, the name of the Eldar one? Well, they're all named Web. Well, I suppose the the Eldar one is called Webway Strike rather than Webway Portal. Oh, okay, uh, so so then they all have different names. So this is actually something that that showed me in the rulebook, and they said that if a stratagem has the same name as another stratagem in a book, a different book, you can only use that stratagem once. But, right. And uh, the, the Harlequin one is called Webway Assault to preview that little section. Right, so they are all distinct. Webway Portal and then Webway Strike. Um, and then this is this is something, because uh, I was talking about rotating ion shields for knights, and I thought mm. with the, the knight one, I thought you could go down to a 3-up invuln save or a 2-up invuln save if you have a 4-up invuln save. Um, but rotating ion shields, they have the exact same name in the Advent Codex, and in this that one book, is identical. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can't use you can't use that stratagem twice to give a knight plus two to their invuln save, which I have to say uh, is probably good a good thing for the better. Probably for the I best. Knights, yeah. But but uh, yeah. So so webway portal. So let's let's just talk about some of the implications that the you can have with this, right? Because previously you could only deep strike scourges. And I think it was just scourges. You can't deep strike their vehicles anymore. No. Um. Yeah. And and I I see I I see the trend that GW's had. Like, like essentially, GW wanted to get rid of um, uh, for the most part, with the exception of Grey Knights, they wanted to get rid of deep strike armies, right? So like Chaos Demons lost the ability to deep strike all their models. Uh, and then, of course, the Dark Eldar lost their ability to deep strike all their vehicles. A lot of flyers lost the ability to deep strike. Land speeders lost the ability to deep strike um, because the deep strike rule is a lot more powerful now. So it is, and it, it just away. wasn't. It wasn't fun to play against an army that put everything in reserve turn one because no. you know half the time you would just waste a turn of the game, and that's just not enjoyable for anyone. Not at all. Uh, so. Uh, the webway portal, um, what are some of the things, I, I don't play Dark Eldar a whole lot, so I feel like you're more familiar with the faction, but what are some things that, that you can really take full advantage of with these? So, the really obvious choice would be a unit of Trueborn with, you know, Dark Lances and Blasters and all of that. You could potentially get four Blasters, two Dark Lances, and a Blast Pistol in that single unit. That's really expensive, but you could do it. That's an amazing amount of firepower to bring in on someone. Uh, and it's important to kind of remember that unlike Meltaguns and stuff that need to be relatively close when they do their job, uh, Blasters are 18-inch range, so you can actually sit those guys pretty far back, and it's really hard to completely block off their ability to drop in and shoot important stuff. Um, so I think that's the, the obvious choice. I don't necessarily think that is the best choice because that unit is, I don't know, I'm ballparking. It's gotta be like 200 points or oh, thereabouts. Man. So for a bunch of toughness, three, five up models with one wound, that's just, you're, you're going to get vaporized if you try that. Yeah. They'll have um, yeah. The, some of the other options would be, I think, uh, to bring in a large unit of some sort of melee thing. 
um, which feels a little more plausible to me. Dark Eldar have a lot of units that are good at tying things down in melee and kind of just holding them up. So I think being able to bring one of those somewhere into the enemy backfield is potentially a fairly strong option. Right. So that was actually my thought process was um, it would be really cool to see a unit like either like Razorwing flocks who who are expensive, um, but they still are a large wound, harder to kill unit if you bring a large one. Um, either something yeah, like Razorwing can... flocks, yeah, and then uh, stick or witches, and then stick like Lilith Hesperax in the middle of them. Be like, here, right. deal with this. My witches are going to keep your stuff tied up, so you need to kill them. Um, I'm going to put them in cover, so they will be harder to kill. Um, and if when the Dark Eldar Codex comes out. Um, if they get like some sort of trait, like minus one to hit trait or minus one hit stratagem, which seems to be very, mm-hmm. very common, um, that'll make them even more durable. I don't know if they will, but maybe. Um, it's plausible. Yeah, it's very. I can definitely see, especially witches, because they're they're very shifty and and agile. Yes. So I can definitely see witches getting something like that. Um, but I think just putting that in your opponent's backfield is something Dark Eldar kind of need, um, because a lot of the Dark Eldar lists that I've seen are things like raiders and venoms and things just staying in the back, these fast-moving vehicles, and just shooting at you. Like, that's it. We're just going to shoot at you. And if there's line-of-sight blocking terrain, like, oh, well, I guess we can't flush you, you out of your building. You need something to get into the enemy's side of the field. It's not enough to sit on your side of the field anymore. Right, absolutely. Uh, so th- that's huge. And and you're right. Maybe just deep-striking some scourges and being able to deep-strike two basic units of Cabalite Warriors or whatever. Maybe that's all you need, just being able to get up the board and dealing with things or, or uh, getting you recon points, which is big, or denying objectives or denying board presence. Because um, a lot of times, if you have the ability to deep strike down, you can deep strike down into a building, and then your mm-hmm. opponent will be able to deep strike down into that building, um, which means your opponent won't be able to deep strike into line of sight blocking ruin terrain, um, yes. which is huge. That the, Just that ability alone makes deep striking worth it. So, and you mentioned the the Kabbalite Warriors, which I think are kind of a sleeper choice there. They can take units at 20. One point to deep strike 20 guys with their poison rifles is nothing to sneeze at. No, that sounds that sounds really... Do they have two shots each? Uh, they're rapid fire one. So, okay. you know, you get your 12-inch guns. You can get two shots if you really want to. Uh, and then you can put, you know, heavy and special weapons in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is a unit that I think could cause some headaches for people. It might not win you, you know, LVO, but <laughs> it's going to give people pause. Okay, that's smart. And just the ability to deep strike a large unit like that, that's having yeah. that in your back pocket, that's huge. So Webway, Webway Portal and Webway Assault and Webway Strike, all really good stratagem. And I think they could have they could have only given Dark Eldar the, that stratagem. And I think the Dark Eldar faction would have gotten significantly better. Um, but... Moving on to Gene Seer Colt. Um, here's a faction that's like Death Watch, um, who they were actually released around the same time, kind of like a duo release, mm-hmm. which is really funny. Um, but like Death Watch, the Gene Seer Colt's faction is uh, falling behind, so to speak. They lost a lot in the transition from 7th to 8th. Not being able to stick their whole army in reserve and play wacky games there is good for the game, but bad for the people who liked the faction. Yeah. Now... I, I want to say first off the warlord trait that Gene Sir Colts get. Oh God! Is it's crazy. It's, it's one of the best warlord traits around. Uh, so, so, so it's you, you, uh, your Gene Sir Colt infantry can heroic intervention and mm-hmm. uh, oh, just period. They can heroic intervention um, if they're within um, 
six six of, of the warlord, warlord which yeah. is crazy so so your your whole army if you if you chain your units just right because those those six inch bubbles people are starting to get really good at getting as many units as they can into those six inch bubbles um but you know like gene stealer uh pure strain gene stealers or whatever the gene stealer cult gene stealers are just like the, those their ability to sh bubble wrap and then protect if you charge something next to them so if you charge like gaunts or a goliath or um i don't know the swarm lord or a mount or i don't care whatever 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 you want whatever you think that can charge into the tyranid line um you have a, a really powerful counter assault unit that charges into them and it's the same thing with infantry um, with their infantry, like their neophyte hybrids and their acolyte hybrids. Um, but I think the reason why this is low-key extremely good is a lot of the times when you charge into a unit, like into a bubble wrap specifically, um, if you're the first person to consolidate, you can oftentimes, you know, get around things, tie up other units. Those consolidates mm -hmm. become huge, right? Uh, yes. You move the three-inch pile in and then you consolidate three inches. Um, those can be really big. Those are oftentimes where in, where close combats are won and lost. Uh, like sure. a lot of times, let me just give you a quick example um, so I can further drive the point home, is when I was running my little Cyclops model, there's a little a little tiny model, uh, blows up. It's, it's basically a little vehicle. I would board control with it, put it in the middle of the board, and when an opponent would charge it, I'd, I'd notice that they would try to get as many models around it as possible because they would try to use it to slingshot so what i would do is i would spend two command points to to uh, counter charge with the cyclops so it, it swings second and then i would just move the cyclops around and base like two models or i would move it around so that they had to go a different direction to base it and just that alone would either save the cyclops from being swung at with multiple models or uh just get it in position so it doesn't be trapped so it's not trapped because a lot of times that was another thing people do is they would charge mm. my Cyclops with a cheap like Brimstone Horror unit and then completely surround it so that it can't move out of combat and blow something up. So I would right. just move my Cyclops so that I couldn't possibly get trapped and because they couldn't consolidate into me. And then I would just be like, okay, next turn I move and then I blow up and I kill your Magnus or whatever. Um, it's Movement huge. in combat is one yes. of the things that I think differentiates good players from great players. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and the implications of this Warlord trait just the it's any infantry unit within six inches so you can do it multiple times um mm -hmm. it's a three inch movement you can also you can use it to move your models around so that your character can heroic intervention um that's something mm -hmm. that's something that that uh characters have a hard time dealing with is staying behind bubble wrap and also the models block the character so they can't heroic intervention so, I have blocked a lot of characters from heroic intervention just oh, by yeah. using their own units. Right, but if you now, if you if you don't base, and I think heroic intervention isn't, I think you could just move them anyways. It does not have any clause about, uh, well, they they still have the closer to the nearest enemy model limitation. Okay, but as long uh, as So as if you're, you're already based, based okay. yeah. So, so you actually have to base your opponent to stop them from moving the unit, which is an extra inch-ish. Um, so well, that, that can be huge. It also defeats the strategy of I will move within an inch of you and then use my three inch and then my three inch again to like loop around you. If right. they have to base you to stop you from heroic intervening, you've already achieved your purpose. Exactly. Now, here's the final kicker. Huge thing. Uh, and this is a bit of a rules lawyery thing, so if you don't like it, I apologize. Um, and I'm not even 100% sure on it, but we've we've talked about it here at the office several times, and we're all into the consensus that this is how it works. Um, but 
when you make a charge, let's say let's say I am charging your your unit, Sean. Uh, you can choose to make a heroic intervention with another model across the board. It doesn't have to be a unit that I'm charging. You just you just make a heroic intervention. So if you read the heroic intervention rules, it doesn't you don't have to be anywhere near the unit that I'm charging. So if I charge you on one corner of the board, you can heroically intervention with a unit across the board. The reason why that's huge. Good. You do have to be within three inches uh, of an enemy. Right. So, but the reason but, why that's huge yeah. is if you don't want to eat a particularly nasty Overwatch from something uh, like a, Le- a he- Lehman Rust with three heavy flamers or whatever, mm-hmm. you can just move within three inches with that huge Gene Stealer Colt army uh, or Gene Stealer Colt unit or whatever. Just move within three inches. Uh, it's very easy for them to do. You can even advance. Um, and still be able to heroically intervene, even if you, even if you normally wouldn't be able to. Um, so you just move, get into position within three inches of the enemy. Now, now your opponent has to be kind of dumb because they, because they are going to charge in their turn, which means that they have a chance to move. Um, but if, like, let's say you have a unit, you know, in close combat with, with, uh, like, like a unit of neophyte hybrids you know, tying up like a Lehman Rust, but they can't kill it. So you need your gene scissors to get in there. But there's like another Lehman Rust there that's going to overwatch you. I don't know. There's these weird little scenarios when being able to heroically intervention with a unit across the board is mm-hmm. is big. It's it's definitely a weird rules interaction. I don't think it's what they intended, but it is what the rules say. And we play by what the rules actually say in most cases, rather than whatever GW's imaginary version was. So (laughs) we can't read your minds, GW. Help us out. They're helping us out, to be fair. Now, they're getting better. Focus. Focus of adoration is the name of that warlord trait. I think yes. I think that's going to bring Gene Sterical back into Tyranid armies, though I don't know because Tyranid lists look extremely good right yeah, now. There's so many good Tyranid things to take. It's oh, going to be crazy. a tough sell. But Gene Sterical's do have access to some good stuff as well. That's true. Um, that is not necessarily under the kind of Tyranid repertoire. So you may see Tyranids bringing them in to fill gaps. Yeah. So uh, moving on to their stratagems, the first stratagem is one you, you expected. Uh, they get to use their... Their cult ambush ability again. They remove a mm-hmm. unit. It goes into reserves. That's something that that you could easily expect because you know they're gene circle and it's, other armies it's, get access to something similar. It's exactly what we knew they were going to get given their seventh edition incarnation. It's definitely useful. Um, the fact that it doesn't restore models to the unit anymore means that it's not amazing, but it lets you essentially redeploy a unit, which is not a bad thing. Right, and then their other stratagem. Uh, that lets you roll two dice on the Colt ambush table. That's a if you're running Gene Sealer Colt, that's a bread and butter stratagem. Because uh, one of their big flaws was that you didn't have any access to a lot of or army wide rerolls to the Colt ambush roll. Um, yes. So, so some of your key units would sometimes just drop the ball, roll a one, be screwed. Um, now you get to ensure that at least one of your units gets to roll two dice, which is which can be helpful. And uh, I think the Colt ambush rule happens at the end of the movement phase, right? I believe so, yes. So you're only going to get to use the meticulous uprising on one of your units per turn, but right. you can use it on the most important one. That's true. Uh, so that's that's cool. So the, um, that might be interesting. Uh, I, I'm interested to see where they take where GW takes Gene Sierra Colt. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very much right now uh, a worse version of, of Guard and Tyranids mixed. 
Like the, their yeah. shooting isn't that great. They have the horde capability, but they don't really have like the leadership buffs to take full advantage of the horde capability. Um, they're kind of like shady and shifty. Like, ah, we're gonna get you. Now we're over here. Now we're over here. But I, I don't think they have the the unit variety for that. To take no, they're of that. they're in a very weird place. Yeah. Um, you know, the stuff they get here helps some. We we didn't mention their relic, uh, oh, yeah, which is plus one strength. one strength for everyone nearby their banner thing, uh, which is good. But I don't feel like that's going to be enough to bring them out of the gutter where they're kind of sitting right now. No, uh, although I do like the idea of plus one strength gene stealers. That might be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, it's what what's their, it'll their make strength five. That, yeah, that would make them strength five, which, you know, that's doing some damage, but you're still playing a melee-focused horde army that is kind of like struggles in a lot of other ways, so... Yep, fair enough. So, Harlequins, they're next. Uh, we're not going to talk about Webway Assault, because... Um, we basically already did. <laughs> yeah, but but basically, like, the same thing applies to Dark Eldar. Um, Harlequins, they're a much smaller faction than Dark Eldar, so they can't have as many units to take advantage of it. Um, but the same rule applies. You can you can deep strike like a solitaire, which would be kind of cute uh, and annoying. Um, or think, fusion pistol harlequins. I think you'll usually see it used on just a big block of basic harlequins. Uh, you know, a unit of 11 or 12 of them is pretty dangerous to a lot of things. Uh, and you can drop them down and be inconvenient to people. It's not as powerful for harlequins because... They just, like you say, they don't have the units to take advantage of it, but the fact that you have it is going to be useful. You'll always have that option. Right. But let, let's go to the Warlord trait real quick. So the yes. the Warlord trait is, is good uh, because it gives them access to reroll to hit rolls, even, it's, even if it is you just reroll ones. Um, they have reroll to wound rolls up the ass. Um, but yeah, it's already built in. Hit rolls. Uh, so, so that makes your Harlequin's Warlord... Uh, unfortunately, it can't be given to a solitaire, which was mm -mm. the very first thing I saw when I saw this world trade. I was like, cool, solitaires become that much more powerful. But no, that's not the case. No. It's it's only ever going to go on your troop master, who is a good guy. Reeling ones will he will help him some. It makes sure those fusion pistol shots land. Yeah, but in, ge in general, uh, I think you're going to have to wait for the Harlequin's Codex to really get some good warlord traits because they're they're characters with the exception of the solitaire their characters are uh, are more buff bots and less you know combat yeah. oriented um but the prismatic blur so so this is also only a one command point stratagem um i think gw should start readjusting the points on some stratagems already um because I, this one definitely doesn't feel like it should be a one command point stratagem because um, it's in line with the other stratagems, like the guard one that gives a unit minus one to hit, or I think plus one to save, uh, or or uh, I think the Eldar have one that gives a unit minus one to hit. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, they have a reactive that's minus one to hit for two command points. The important distinction on Prismatic Blur is that you have to use it preemptively uh, and that it has a condition for how you get it because you have to use it when you advance and it gives your it makes your invulnerable a three up rather than a four up. Oh, okay, so maybe that might justify the one command point instead of two command yeah. points. Yeah, uh, you'll typically see the conditional ones like that be one command point. For example, the uh, Eldar Guardians have a stratagem. There's one command point for a four up invulnerable against shooting okay all right so but anyways yeah like like sean said uh you can give a unit a helic harlequin's unit that advanced a three up invuln until the end of your next turn 
Um, that's the start of the next turn, but yeah, until the start um, of your next turn. So, so that that's that's huge. That's a it makes them real tough. It, it just you know it makes a key void weaver important. Um, maybe you desperately need to keep like a solitaire alive to get in like to something. Or well, solitaire already has a three up in. Oh, you're right. Fair um, enough. But... The one I've actually seen it on that I think is very interesting is the Skyweavers, the bikes. Uh, the jet bikes, yeah, um, because they like they are Eldar bikes, so they are extremely fast, and they get the six inch auto advance because they're bikes. And as Harlequins, they can do the whole like advance because Harlequins advance and charge, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yes. that's a thing for them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you would you advance, you advance, you trigger the stratagem, you charge in with your bikes, and uh, you just you you have this extremely quick unit that's twenty two inches of movement uh, that now has a three up invuln. So like a unit of uh, you know five of those bikes is pretty tough to get rid of and is putting enough damage down to cause some damage on things. Um, and then, you know, your Harlequins, so next turn they fall out of combat, they shoot, they fight again, uh, they just, it's just a very inconvenient unit that can give you something that happens turn one, which is really important, that's something Harlequins can often struggle with, is like, if you're not doing anything on turn one, you're in trouble. Yes. Yeah, so, so it, it's, it's huge, um, and then finally their Relic, uh, the leadership, Plus one is the plus one leadership is is not that great. It's pretty meaningless. They have small units. Um, you know, meh. It's it's only even for the bearer. It is not a radius. So <laughs> your single character goes up to leadership ten. Who even cares? Yeah, it's not a, not uh, a big deal. But the minus one leadership to everything within six inches of the bearer. That's that's bad right now. However, mm-hmm. if Harlequins in the future get access to more ways to give units minus one to their leadership, um, that can become really good. Uh, similar to Night Lords, in that um, you know when Night Lords kill things, sometimes they make Marine squads run away a little bit. But it's not, you know, it's not the best. But minus minus leadership is a decent effect. It's unfortunate that they lost all of the spell effects that used to key off of leadership. Uh, but we may see some of those come back as they get their discipline expanded out to the full six like everyone else. So it's definitely a, a relic to keep an eye on. And it's not worthless. It's just not it's not as good as it was back in seventh edition. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's pretty much it for Harlequins. I think. I think they got Webway Assault, uh, or Webway, yeah, they got Webway Assault, Assault. and yes. their their stratagems by far help them out the most. Um, I I think that they're very easy to splash into an Eldar army and can shore mm-hmm. up some of the weaknesses that Eldar have, uh, specifically in the character department. Um, they but, bring a good melee hammer to an army that can sometimes lack that. Yeah, so Harlequins, they're cool. Moving on to Imperial Knights, uh, I was mm-hmm. personally very happy. I think that so far out of all the factions we've read, I think Imperial Knights consistently got the best relic, warlord trait, and stratagem. Um but they're all solid. They they are. They're all solid. So so their warlord trait is very simple. You give plus one to your warlord's attack characteristic. That's huge for multiple reasons. Um there are multiple Forge World Knights um that can desperately benefit from that fifth attack, uh which is big. And then, of course, it with, it helps all the knights by giving you 15 uh, uh, Titanic feet attack instead of 12, 
which is it's big. also interesting that they essentially reverted to the seventh and sixth edition version where uh, a knight who is made your warlord becomes a character, which was not previously the case. Yeah, and th- there's not there's not crazy implications for that now because there's no challenges. No, uh, but you still you still have the option of heroic intervention and a few other shenanigans. Oh, I didn't think about that. That's actually yeah. interesting. It's it's not huge, but it is relevant. Hmm. Okay, I think they should be able to heroic intervention six inches. They're so big, but it it does kind of seem like they might get something there. But we'll see what the if once they get a, a real codex. You're right. Uh, rotate ion shields. Um, I, th- I this is actually huge. Uh, for yes. me as a knight player, um, because previously if you wanted to take rotate ion shields, you had to take an admech detachment, which was mm-hmm. lame. You know, it basically shoehorned you into an admech army, made it a lot harder to splash quote unquote knights. Um, but now if you want to add a knight or two to your list, all you have to do is take one in an auxiliary support Lord of War detachment, and then that yep. counts as a, a Questor mechanic or Questor Imperialis detachment. Uh, which mm-hmm. means that you can take the Warlord trait and the Stratagem, um, and then plus one invuln save for the rest of the phase. That's that's big. Yeah. You know. There are also a number of the Forge World Knights that can get a four-up invulnerable yep. against shooting, so being able to pump that down to a three-up is pretty scary for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, uh, specifically, the ones that came to mind are the uh, Questor Styrix, which is yes. cheap. I think it's like, I think it's like 500 points. Uh, the Styrix is I, 500 points on the dot. Um, is it? I was I was thinking it was a little bit less than that, but I know it's around there. Yeah, it's it's cheap. The the Styrix is cheap. Um, it has good shooting. It has a the rad cleanser, which I think is hilarious. Uh, 2d6 automatic yes. flamer hits that wound on a three plus and do three damage each. Three is, damage a piece like, is crazy. And it's, I mean, you, you know, I, I played it in the night joust. Um, oh yeah! At, at the Iron Halo, and I won, and the Rad Cleanser actually did nine damage to someone's knight. I was just mm-hmm. like, I shoot my Rad Cleanser at you for fun, and he's like, Oh, I take, I guess I take three hits because I rolled three sixes to wound, and he's like, Oh, I failed three in armor saves, and I took nine damage, and I was like, Oh, well, that that's kind of lame. I'm sorry, buddy. But yeah, the so the Styrix comes to mind with the three up invuln against uh, shooting and a four up invuln against close combat. Um, the Knight Atropos, mm-hmm. which is uh, yeah. Also benefits the, from the plus one attack. Um, that one gets rerolls to hit and to wound rolls against vehicles, monsters, and buildings, which is yes crazy. So you've got five attacks that are rerolling to hit, rerolling to wound, six damage each, strength sixteen, AP four. Like you're, you know, you're gonna obliterate everything you get into close combat with. Um, that guy shreds heavy targets. Absolutely, and he, I think he also has a minus one to hit. Oh uh, no, that's the Knight Lancer. Um, who was the other one? Um, who's the uh, the cheapest oh, yes. World Knight? Um, that one has a four up in wound in close combat, which is pretty big, uh, mm-hmm. and the minus one to hit from I think Titanic monsters or something. Some they, it, it has a minus one to hit. Sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which is which is good. Uh, minus one to hit on a knight is really powerful. It's also the cheapest Forge World Knight, and it's one of the cheaper knights. Period. Um, so mm-hmm. so that's really good. Having a three up in wound in close combat is is huge it can it can be the difference between surviving against magnus and dying um you can go the rotate with everything the rotate iron shields is interesting because it doesn't specify against shooting even though typically you only get your ion shield against shooting right uh, but if you have an ion shield against something else then you'll benefit from it yeah 
And then finally, the Ravager. This is just a a buff if you're taking a chain sword, um, which I guess knights don't really take a lot of chain swords. But if you have a Reaper chain sword, um, you can reroll to hit rolls of one for it. So if you have a knight detachment and you have a knight warlord, just take the Ravager. If you have a re- like, it's just you know you just take the is, Ravager. Is it also slightly higher strength than a standard uh, chain sword? I think it's, it's a plus, plus six. six. And I think the quick. normal one is plus four. Reaper Chainsword is plus four. Yeah, you're right. Okay, and yeah. Then, and then that it means you are you... wounding typical vehicles on twos rather than threes, which is a nice bonus. Does it get you up to strength 14? Yep, because they're eight base. Yeah, that's 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 actually that's actually pretty big. Um, yeah. You know, wounding rhinos on twos versus threes is important. And mm-hmm. uh, the reroll to hit rolls of one is nice, you know. But in general, I'm happy with what the knights got. Um, it made me want to run knights again. And uh, they're kind of an anti-meta army right now. Um, I just mm-hmm. don't think anyone's found the winning combination yet. But I think they're good to splash into something else. But they are a big investment of points, which yeah. can be real dicey in this meta. Yeah, that's true. Uh, moving on to Necrons. Uh, I'm going to be 100% honest. I have not read a lot of the Necron. I'm not super familiar with the Necrons ones. I've studied them a bit. I'm. I wish I could be happier with where they're at right now, but it's hard to be super positive about them. Yeah. So, so let's go into their warlord trait enduring will. Uh, they have the they same thing a... that wave serpents get, where they reduce mm-hmm. damage by one. Um, that's not so good on characters, though. <laughs> I, think... I actually really like it on them uh, because it pairs up with the fact that they heal a damage each turn, which makes it very hard to sort of bring them down in close combat. Um, I honestly think their warlord trade is probably one of the best things about them right now okay. because, like, you get like that guy with a thunder hammer who's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna come in and smash your warlord," uh, and he comes in and he punches you and he ends up doing like four wounds, and then you hit him back with your war scythe. You tear him up real bad, you heal a wound, you finish him off, and suddenly, like, okay, he did four wounds to you, but you're getting back you're getting them back so quickly that you'll probably be fine. Yeah. Uh, it it won't apply against shooting most of the time. It'll just shooting will either kill you or it won't. But in close combat where the game is basically sort of like it's all about whether you have that melee character with a multi-damage weapon, dropping it by a damage is huge. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It, I actually didn't think about that. I thought I just looked at that and thought, oh, you just throw that on a destroyer lord, and and he's kind of better, mm-hmm. but whatever. But that's actually important. Um, specifically, there is also a very awkward scenario with it because uh, catacomb command barges, the little uh, vehicle with a guy riding on them, are characters still, and you can put that on them, which reduces all damage they take. Uh, but it means that quantum shielding triggers less often because it you have to roll under the number of wounds you took with quantum shielding. So Enduring Will is actually good on many Necron characters, but bad on the catacomb barges. <laughs> which you which are ones you would think it'd be good on. Just kind of funny. Yeah, it's it's a very strange interaction there. Uh but all in all, I think Enduring Will is probably a very strong trait. Uh, it helps Necrons out at least some. Yeah. So their stratagems uh, harken back to the 7th edition Necrons with the uh, Canoptic Harvest and the, their Decurion, mm-hmm. um, which is they get the ability to give the reanimation protocols to Canoptic units like Wraiths and Scarabs and Spiders again. And then yeah. they also reroll reanimation protocol rules of one for that for a unit for that turn. Uh, that's 
it, it was big. The reason why it was huge um, in 7th edition was because it was across an entire formation and yes. made the whole army durable. Um, this is, is obviously a, a weakened, watered-down version, and it's also, there are two command points each. Yeah, um, you know, they feel like they should have been one. At least the uh, at least the canoptic one should have been one points, one command yeah, point. Yeah, just needing fives to bring them back and two command points. Like, yeah, it'll be fantastic when you bring back three wraiths in one turn, but most of the time you're going to maybe get one, and a lot of the time you're going to get zero. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, then so so it's not... It's it's kind of kind of underwhelming. Um, it's definitely mm-hmm. better than what they had previously. Uh, yeah, was something's nothing. better than nothing. Right. But it's it. I feel like it bumps up against the same problem that Necrons struggle with in eighth, which is that their gimmick is to be very tough, but the addition is very killy. So you're seeing whole units of warriors wiped out in a single turn, and they never even get to make a reanimation roll. Yeah, and they're, they're, I think their units across the board are also really expensive. Um, they're not cheap. Yeah, so so the Necron, Necron players, uh, wait for your codex. You'll probably get some points reductions in the codex, maybe, as long as you're really vocal. Um, but I imagine they'll see the Eldar treatment where they go from being a kind of like bottom tier mediocre faction to fairly solid. That's that's really good, and they have the they have the character base. Um, they have yes. as many characters as Eldar do, so they have the character base to to have a lot of interesting interesting combinations added into their faction, um, which yes. I'm really excited for uh, for Necron players. Um, and then finally, mm-hmm. they got the veil back, the the mm-hmm. shining. The shining relic in this book for the Necrons, uh, the Veil of Darkness. You can teleport. It's basically the same thing. Um, you teleport yep. the the bearer and one unit next to the bearer anywhere under the board, um, even if they're out of combat or even if they're in combat. It's a very good ability. It's probably not enough to save the faction as a whole, but it gives you a redeploy. It gives you essentially a deep strike. It's a very nice thing to have. It also limits it to an infantry unit. Um, which is huge. Yes. Because previously, you you teleported the si- the sentry pylons. You're like, oh boy, right. I, I tied them up and now they're gone, which was very annoying. Um, I think they probably should have made it like vehicles and or infantry and beasts. Um, but at the same time, you know, I it don't... doesn't work on wraiths. Is kind of like yeah. the big thing. Yes. But it's not the worst thing in the world. Wraiths are fast anyways, so I feel like you can get by without that having an option. Yeah, so so it, it's it's interesting. The veil is is uh it was it's always been a good gimmick, so mm-hmm. so I think people will, will find some use for it, but in general it's not that great. Although I, I do admit a unit of thirty um uh what are they called? Flayed ones. Um Mm. Either infiltrating Big. or deep striking Veil of Darknessing up with a character into your opponent's face and then boosting their reanimation protocols up. I feel like that's actually really terrifying. Um, yeah, you you send in uh, you know a one or two units of twenty and then you teleport the character up with another one to support. And yeah, you're, or that too. Yeah. Yeah, so that could be that could be dangerous. Um, and maybe give Necron something, but I'm not sure how much all that costs, and I feel like I'm stretching here anyways, but for those yeah. of you Necron players, if you want to email me and let me know, I'm kind of curious. Uh, moving on to Orcs, uh, this is, the Orcs, their Warlord trade's actually really good, because it adds one to the strength characteristic for the Orc, 
So your power claws become uh, strength 10, which is good. Uh, well, the most, depending on the orc character, war bosses are already strength 10 with their claws, but that brings them up to 12. Um, I think it makes the non-power claw options a little bit more viable. I'm not sure. I might still just go for that plus one attack because plus one attack is still nice. Okay. But it's worth considering, especially on a non-war boss. Yeah. And that, that's a good point. Uh, it's also... I think their um, their relic it goes gets paired well with their relic, um, which yes. Reese actually used against me, which is the Head Wappa's Kill Choppa. Uh. <laughs> so already great great orky name, I love it. Um, but every they're, they're exploding sixes. Um, it's kind of like a baby version of the Emperor's Sword for Gilliman. That whenever you roll a six mm-hmm. to wound, um, you inflict D three mortal wounds instead of the normal damage. Um, so it doesn't do D3 mm-hmm. mortal wounds in addition. It just does D3 mortal wounds instead. Um, so, But it's still really good. As Reese pointed out in the battle report, at the very end of it, he made a very good point um, in that it gives orcs something to be able to get through invulns and high toughness and high saves, uh, which is yeah. not something they have access to, very much access to. And the basic stats on it, like if you are doing like Reese did there and you take the plus one strength characteristic, uh, that means that your your basic uh, warlord is looking at strength eight, AP two, D3 damage, which is essentially a power fist, but with no penalty to hits. Right. That That's really, yeah, that is very good. Um, that's, I mean, that's not bad. I, I think you're right about the plus one attack. I think you'd rather have yeah. that. But if you, if you cast the plus one attack spell on the war boss um mm-hmm. you know you, you then you'll have six attacks you know it's 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 good it, it gives it gives orc characters the they're already the strongest thing about their codex in my opinion uh, it gives them a little extra buff which is cool and it's nice because it's uh replacing your big choppa so you are saving the points over a power claw yeah now their stratagems holy shit uh so I am still not sure how I feel about mob up, but it's such a weird effect that there's got to be something you can do with it. So, so, so first off, in mob up, um, something something I saw that would be uh, really powerful already is in the ITC Champions missions. Um, you get points for killing oh. an, an infantry unit with 20 or more models. You get two points. But if you mob up, you can save infantry units. It's only one command point. So you're spe- mm-hmm. essentially spending one command point to deny your opponent's points. Um, and if you have yeah. enough infantry units throughout the whole unit, they essentially have to kill your whole green tide um, for any points, uh, which is... Uh, that's already huge. Uh, another thing, Another thing I think that would be really good with that is... If you have two smaller units, like let's say you have two 15-man units. Let me just reread this one more time before I say this. I don't want to be 100% wrong. You need a unit with at least 10 models and a unit that is under 10 models okay. to so, combine them. So that that's fine. Um, but if if you have like like a large unit, like a 20-boy unit, right? And you have a smaller mm-hmm. unit, like an 8 or 7-boy unit, um, you can combine both the units together. And then teleport them with the jump. Yes. Uh, so that buff them up with the plus one attack or yeah, whatnot. Yeah. So you're you're essentially it also gives you the option to buff two units at once, um, which is which you can which is very very powerful. 
It's not for one mm -hmm. command point. The utility that this this ability brings, especially in the ITC missions, uh, makes it one of the strongest stratagems that any faction has access to. So, but orcs specifically because they're already a horde faction, and as as you said, each horde unit is already really dangerous. Each orc unit is already real dangerous. Um, uh, the other thing too is is this can really help out um, for for units like uh, Ludas. Uh, or mm -hmm. I think you can do it to. Um, I, I I want I want to know how it works with uh, Grotz, um, because yeah, because with the, Grotz, go go ahead. Well, uh, I was trying to remember. I know they have FAQ'd the uh, Gretchen artillery guys that you know run your guns. Uh, I think they are a legal target for it. I oh, would have to go no, back and no, check. No, no, because they have to have ten or more models in the grot unit and i don't think you can actually but take big guns can be taken in units of up to five and they come with i think three grots per gun right but but when they when they get deployed down they all become separate units yeah that's what i wasn't sure about i yeah, know there so... is an faq on how they deploy and work and i i don't particularly know offhand you'll have to ask uh heffelfinger about it when you have him on later yeah, so so uh, yeah, I don't think you can actually I don't think you can actually use, but it, it's still really good with like storm boys. If you have hurt units of storm boys, you basically those little five or six man units just shove mm -hmm. them into your big unit. Like here you go, guys, you're you're with them now. Get them, boys, and then um, it denies your opponents kill points. Uh, it's it's very powerful. It's I think the. Denying the the kill points is the really big one where you're going to see a lot of people use it because orcs run so many big units of boys that you know everyone's going to take the reaper against you and shoving two units together to deny them two points is pretty big. Yes. Uh, now let's move on to daka daka daka. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, uh, you can use this on Luda. So so it it gives an orc infantry or biker unit exploding sixes, so they get an extra yes. shot. Um, for their shooting <laughs> an extra attack with the same weapon so uh the first thing that jumped out to me is with ludas um if you shoot ludas and they each roll three um shots each uh you're essentially rolling every time for every six you roll another three shots um which is very 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 good and let me just make sure i'm reading so each time you make a hit roll of it six plus for a model that uh, in that unit immediately make an extra attack against the same unit using the same weapon. My understanding is that attack there refers to a single shot. Uh, as the, for example, the Luda gun is heavy D3, which means it makes D3 attacks rather than an attack being one set of D3 shots. Um, so... So it's then, been a discussion in a number of places, but that is the way I have understood that okay. sort of wording to function. So by your, by the way you said it, then you would it would be an attack that's D three shots. So every six you'd roll, you would shoot an extra D three shots. No, no, the the other way around. Uh, you would you know roll your D threes, make that number of shots, and each six would be one additional shot. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, an attack in this case is one shot with a shooting weapon. Right. So and I I. I also I disagree, but I also see where you're coming from, and I think this might be one of those better left um, FAQ'd or better left unargued. Um, I definitely feel it needs an FAQ yes. because it's not entirely clear. Absolutely, but um, even even if it's just one extra shot, uh, 
you know, th this this is huge implications, right? So if you have your 20 yes. units of Luda, your 20-boy Luda unit, um, you can actually just move them if you need to get them in position and stuff, or if you need to, to them to charge something, because Ludas are very good in close combat, I, as I found out. Uh, mm -hmm. You can move, and that gives that incentivizes you to move them, and they still actually don't lose any real damage output by hitting on sixes versus hitting on fives. You do not want to move them if you use that stratagem, because the minus one to hit will prevent you from rolling sixes. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. That's actually terrible. Thank, thank you, yes. Sean, once uh, again. <laughs> that's, that is the tricky thing with that minus ones in this edition, right. is the way they interact with a lot of abilities is a little bit awkward. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for catching that, Sean. Um, this is why <laughs> I brought you on. So you're, it's an easy mistake to reader. make, uh, but <laughs> but yeah. So it, it's still it's still really it's still really really powerful. Um, you, you know, it is. makes Shooter boys a lot stronger and a lot more viable. And also, uh, bikes, uh, war bikes. Yes, because it have, does work on bikes. Yeah, they have big shooters. Like they, as from my understanding, is uh, war bikers have a lot of DACA already. At least they mm -hmm. did last edition. I don't know if they still do. Oh, they um, still do. Yeah. Uh, six shots per guy. Yeah, which is, and they're relatively cheap. They're around like 40 points a model, maybe a little less. Um, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't know how cheap they are, but, uh, but they're, they're relatively cheap from what I remember. And that, that's, that's something that could definitely come up and do a lot of damage. Um, just that DACA, especially with the amount of, uh, inventory and models that people are bringing now in today's meta. Uh, Mm -hmm. armies are moving more and more towards being model heavy and infantry heavy uh so yes. things like the daka daka stratagem and war bikers and Ashuda boys um start to become a little bit more viable anything that can clear out hordes of infantry is important this edition yeah though i do like the idea of using it on a large unit of ludas and shooting 60 shots that yes. you know, you you get ten more shots, so you essentially get seventy shots with ten automatic hits on average, or sixty yes. shots with ten automatic hits on average. You're th that is terrifying to anyone who is fielding like a Magnus or Mortarion or whatnot. Yeah, because that's so many high damage shots coming in. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that's cool. Uh, Space Wolves is the next faction. Uh, I I've actually come up with a little cool idea that I want to use when I play with hmm. the Space Wolves, um, but their Warlord trait, uh, it lets you always fight your, your Warlord first in the fight phase, even if they didn't charge. Uh, that That's that's good, especially with the Space Wolves. They've got that that they've got a lot of close combat monsters. Um, I don't think yeah. it's, it's game-breaking. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's better than the book traits, the regular rulebook traits. I think I would take it over the book traits... Playing Slanesh, I have definitely experienced that kind of like striking first a lot of the time doesn't do anything because you're charging anyways. Right. Uh, but every once in a while you will really surprise someone with it or make a situation very inconvenient. So I feel like it's a nice thing to have. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, their relic, uh, it's it's not that good. It's just uh, AP4, power sword with plus one strength and the reroll yeah. of wound rolls. Um, as I mentioned before with the, um, I think it was the Death Watch. Yes, mm -hmm. with the Death Watch uh, Warlord trait, being able to reroll wound rolls on on characters uh, is pretty is pretty nice, um, especially it's, with... Go ahead. 
it's good. I just wish it wasn't one damage. Yeah, if exactly it were two damage or D3 damage, I'd love that thing. But one damage on a character, you really need that multi-damage weapon. You've got to be able to win a fight against another Absolutely. character. Um, now, there are stratagems. Uh, so the, yes. the true grit stratagem, is it's already it's already pretty good. Uh, it makes all your bolter... Well, it's actually got a specific list. Auto-bolt rifles, bolt guns bolt rifles and bolt carbines so essentially all everything the intercessors and tactical squads or uh uh gray hunters have yes <laughs> um it, it makes them all pistol too so you can shoot them into close combat uh, that's that's pretty good um it gives you more incentive to move shoot charge and then on your turn shoot and then swing again in close combat so it which is very both feels very fluffy and is very powerful it mm -hmm. only applies to one unit, but I think if you use it on a squad of intercessors, primaris intercessors, um, I think that's actually really powerful because they already have two attacks each. Uh, they have two wounds. Their bolt rifles are a little stronger, so being able to shoot them twice in a turn or, or twice in a battle round or a game turn is really good. Um, and mm -hmm. it's also uh, something you can do. You can use as a deterrent to have your opponent to stop your opponent from charging you. Um, so. I think that's the more likely scenario. In most cases, my experience has been that you will not stay locked in combat with anyone who doesn't want to be in combat with you. So you will very rarely get to use pistols on people if they don't want to be fighting you. But it does stop people from charging into you in order to lock you up and stop you from shooting them. Yes, absolutely. Now, Cunning of the Wolf. Uh, this is this is a very good stratagem. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the old outflank rules, uh, it essentially lets you to set up a Space Wolves infantry unit in outflank reserve, uh, and then you, when you want to put them in at the end of your movement phase, they have to be wholly within six inches of any battlefield edge of your choice. That's important because it can be your opponents. Mm -hmm. That's big, and you have to be more than nine inches away from any enemy models. Uh, this is good for two reasons. Uh, one, you can use it limitlessly as with as you can use as many command yep. points as you want, so you can put. It's a pre-game. Yes, you can outflank half your army easily, no problem. Uh, and the other thing is, it gives you access to being able to uh, move up Primaris units. Something that that traditionally Primaris units like aggressors and intercessors and Hellblasters haven't really had access to. That's their big struggle. Yeah, is yeah. just getting within range of their guns. Right. So. I think that the cunning of the wolf and the true grit means that a space wolf's primaris army is something that's very, very viable. Um, and it could be very, very viable depending on what else they release. Yeah, we'll see exactly how it works, but just anything that gives you the ability to put units into reserves is strong by its very nature. Right, and and here's the other thing too: is the, the I don't I'm surprised I'm not seeing more space wolves because you already have they already have access to two really good powers. They have access to plus one, or you you're in cover, you count as being in cover, so essentially plus one to your save, uh, and they also have a power that gives you minus one to hit them. So mm -hmm. so and that's that's period. I don't think that there's a, a range. A, a range um, minimum that you have to be yeah, in. Yeah, it's just a static minus one. Yeah, so so that can be big. So I was thinking I could outflank uh, a unit of Primaris Aggressors, like a five or six man unit of Primaris Aggressors, with a Rune Priest, Jump Pack a Rune Priest, who can deep strike in behind them, and then I can just unload into a flank that a, a Primaris Aggressor, they got cheaper in this book, mm -hmm. 
and they shoot six plus d6 shots each. So you're shooting 36 plus d or plus 66 shots into something at an 18 inch yeah. range. That, that's aggressors are real good oh, yeah. and being able to bring them in like that. Like that's what a lot of what makes Raven Guard strong and having this means that I think that, you know, potentially Space Wolves have a big strength there as well. Yeah, and the other thing too is this actually uh, removes them from the board. The problem with the Raven Guard stratagem is you're not always guaranteed to go first. Uh, so a lot yes. of times you can leave your unit either out of position or out to dry and die. Um, with this the case, you can be a little bit more uh, proactive and defensive with your unit and keep them sticking around longer with the minus one to hit still, which is very similar to what Raven Guard have, and that plus one to mm -hmm. save, um, which means that you can keep that aggressor unit alive for more turns so they can kill more things. Um, and the aggressors aren't no slash in close combat either. They have power fist attacks. Yeah. Uh, they're, you know, they're T4. They've got two attacks each. So th they can actually go in there and hurt things if they need to. I think they're pretty inarguably the best of the Primaris units. I, I agree 100%. The other thing, too, that a lot of people don't think about is they're actually really fast um, because they can move Surprisingly. In without a penalty. Yeah, you, you, you see it. So so they yeah. move 5 inches plus D6. You always want to be advancing them because there's no penalty to advancing them. I guess you can't charge after you advance, but... Yeah, that would be the only thing stopping you. Right, but you know, 5 plus D6 inches and then being able to shoot afterwards essentially adds a d6 range to their to their threat range which is which is mm -hmm. helpful um so they can be pretty fast and uh, i think i think you're right i think primaris aggressors are the best primaris unit um yeah. though intercessors getting cheaper i think definitely made them you know viable we may start seeing some more of them we'll get to them as soon as we start doing point values i presume right. but there's they're poised to be usable all right sean we're uh -huh. at tau now I'm going, to, I'm going to shut my mouth and let you talk about this faction because I don't know anything. And um, I, the last time I checked, you were a Tau player. I do. I haven't played Tau as much in 8th edition, but I have used them. They're in an interesting place. They, A lot of people say that Tau are just like complete garbage. They can't win. They don't do anything. I don't feel that's true. At the same time, I don't feel like they're an army that can realistically take top tables at a big tournament just because they lack the tools to deal with certain types of armies out there. And if you run up against one of those, you'll lose. Um, so what Tau get here in chapter approved is nice, but it doesn't fundamentally change anything for them. Uh, they do get two different warlord traits, which makes them fancy and better than everyone else. Um <laughs> But they are ones that maybe have some um, questionable usefulness. You get Exemplar of the Kaoyun and Exemplar of the Motka essentially echoing the two abilities that a uh, Tau commander can trigger once per game. Uh, just they work on you and they work all the time. Um, so one of them is if you stand still, you can reroll ones to hits, which is cute. Um not big because you have so many ways to get reroll ones to hit off of marker lights and ethereals and a million other things already, but it's not worthless. It's something. Um, I think the better of the two is the Montco one, which allows you to advance and shoot normally, um, which again is something you can access other ways, but 
it does give it to you in addition to everything else you could get, which is nice. You know, you don't have to burn a support system. Uh, you don't have to be triggering your once per game ability to do this. So it allows a Tau commander to be potentially very mobile, especially if it's like a cold star commander who can advance an extra 20 inches. So like that guy can fly 40 inches and then shoot normally. Mm. That's a really long distance and it allows you to do a lot of character sniping and stuff like that. Um, the example of the Monka is also very interesting because one of the common Tau Warlords is Longstrike, their, uh, their guy sitting in a tank. Um, and this gives Longstrike the ability to move, advance, and shoot normally, whereas normally he kind of wants to be sitting still. Um, and since he is in a tank, you know, that's 12 plus D6 inches. That is a pretty big redeploy to be getting every turn. Uh, so... Neither of the the traits is fantastic, but as we've said a bunch of other times, they're better than what you had access to, so you may as well use them. Yes. Uh, now, the stratagem. What do you think about the, the uplinked marker light stratagem? It's a pretty decent little thing. Uh, it's only one command point, so that's nice. And when you get a marker light hit, you instead get D3 plus one. So you'll always get at least two. You could get as many as four out of it. Um, especially late in the game when you are starting to run out of marker lights, this can be a very nice thing to have. Um, I feel like it'll kind of be the opposite of the way most stratagems are. Is like Normally you'll see armies dump all their command points on turns one and two. Tau are probably going to be saving a couple in their back pocket for the late game so they can be using this uplink marker lights and like if all you have is three marker lights on the board this suddenly looks a lot more attractive to try and get up to that five hits for the plus one to hit with all your other guys in the army so it's a pretty useful little stratagem it's definitely something that you're going to see tau players using pretty consistently yes now the relic now th this one i actually really like it's not bad uh reroll one hit wound or damage roll once per turn once per battle is something um it's you know it's a it's a command point essentially that you can use in addition to your normal command reroll um the bigger part is the fact that uh every time your enemy uses a stratagem on a six up you're gaining command points which is a little bit worse than some other versions of this but um you get it in addition to the other benefits, and it is kind of, you know, it's taking your relic slot rather than your warlord trade or something else like that. So I figure that it's okay that it is a smaller bonus because it is a smaller ability. Uh, it's not taking as much of a commitment of resources. So, again, it's something you didn't have before and now you do. Uh, so that's perfectly fine. You really can't complain too hard about that. Right. And I think combining it with the exemplar of the Montcaw, on a cold mm -hmm. star, cold star suit, uh, and being able to move forty inches, and then killing something. Now you are sacrificing your warlord, most likely, um, but there are good guns you can give your warlord that don't necessarily put them in hard's way all the time. Um, yeah. yeah, the cold star has a pair of like eighteen and thirty-six inch guns, so he doesn't have to sit right next to his target. Uh, and there's a couple ways you can escort him with various units: your remora stealth drones and whatnot. Yeah, he also so, good. It's it's I I feel like it is you can build a pretty reasonable little guy out of that who is filling some some jobs that you need to be able to take care of in the current environments. Right. Uh, he also has the fly keyword, so he can jump on top of buildings and stuff. Uh, yes. Which can also further keep him away. Um, but I don't know. I, I think I, I've heard a lot of people, um, Frankie in particular, uh, complain about how bad the 
Tau got shafted and chapter approved. Um, and though I, I do agree th with some of the points cost uh, arguments, um, but in general, I think that they got something good. Well, I think the the kind of the secret here, and uh, obviously I don't have any hidden knowledge about this, but this is basically my speculation, is Tau are probably up soon on the docket for for getting a codex. You know, they're not in their next three codexes. We already know what those are. But the fact that they got no point changes at all, it kind of implies to me that they are likely to get a codex soon. Yeah, and they need another Xenos codex anyways. So exactly. That, that makes sense. Um, now, finally, the Thousand Sons. Uh, these Sneaking guys, in. These guys are um, interesting. Uh, they, they're, everything they got indicates that they're going to be very much a psychic phase dominant army, um, which mm -hmm. with you know, the reason why the uh, deny on a four plus psychic powers stratagems are so good, I would argue, is because of Chaos Space Marines, the Chaos Space Marine faction in general. Um, you know, Basically. they have access. Yeah, they have access to plus one prescience. They have access to warp time. They have access to smite powers that are mortal wound dealing powers that aren't just smite. Um, they have mm -hmm. access to the traitor uh, power that lets you sh uh, shoot or use a character or something, something like that. Some sort of like treachery of Zinch, I believe it I is. Think, yes, they have that. They yes. Have to that. Oh no, that's the chaos demons one they have a different one that does a similar sort of thing but yes uh they have a lot of very strong powers that could kind of like define how a game works right and, and even just like like magnus right and magnus yes. benefits <laughs> from from these as well magnus can have the uh, warlord trait so so the warlord trait is you real fail deny the witch chase you take for the warlord that's huge especially mm -hmm. on magnus it's really big uh, i, I played a lot of three or four he gets three denies. I've played a lot of Eldar recently, and they have the once-per-turn reroll on your Warlord's deny or psychic, uh, which, like, people underestimate how likely you are to shut down powers with that. Yes. And having this as a static just reroll all failed denies is huge, even more so on Magnus. Right, because he gets plus two to his denies, so he's denying yeah. he's denying all of three powers, essentially, and he's going to be mm -hmm. in your opponent's face, most likely. It's just... It's very, very, very powerful, especially on Magnus. Um, but even if you use it on like a regular sorcerer who's hiding uh, mm -hmm. behind like a cultist bomb or Nurglings or, or whatever, Brimstone Horrors, whatever you, you whatever you can think of, the, it, it's it's a really good warlord trait for the Chaos Space Marine for a faction that frankly already dominates the psychic phase. So yes, you know it's. It's such a strong tool to be able to control the psychic game these days that uh, something that gives you even more dominance there is gigantic. Yeah, so now, which brings me to the stratagem. Uh, you can add two to your psychic test if you're within six inches of at least two other thousand sun psychers. That's mm -hmm. not as good. Um, it, 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 the sorcerers are expensive. Go ahead. It, it lets you force a key power, which I think is the interesting thing there. Uh, being able to ensure that Magnus gets off his warp time or his uh, plus one to invuln, or the really scary thing is you put it on Magnus for his uh, smite, smite yeah. and suddenly like on a six or higher on the dice, you're doing 2d6 mortal wounds. Yes, and that's crazy. Yes. Insane. Um, so I, it's definitely a solid little inclusion to their repertoire. You may not use it all the time because you do need three psychers within six of each other. But when you can trigger it, it's real big. Yes. Now, finally, the Athenian scrolls. 
Uh, they make a, an appearance again, and they are once again really powerful. I think last edition the Athenian Scrolls let you move a unit or or something. They think it let you move a unit twelve inches. Um, and the, it made, like, mini you're thinking stars. of you're, you're, there is a different relic that did that. The the Athenian Scrolls were, I believe, essentially identical last edition, where doubles uh, were un, unstoppable. Oh, okay, never mind uh, then. But, but but this edition, where it's so much easier to turn off utility powers, I think they have a lot stronger presence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any roll of doubles cannot be shut down by deny the witch. Um, it also says or negate it by any means. Yes. So you have a couple very unusual scenarios there. Uh, it does mean that the sisters or Black Templar or World Eater stratagems will not be able to negate it. Um, Which is it good. also. Yes. It also raises a very interesting question of uh, some timing things and whatnot. The way psychic powers are worded, um, you do not choose a target until after you have succeeded your psychic tests. And because it says cannot be negated by any means, it implies that you could use the Athenian and scrolls on a double to target a Calexus with a power. Hmm. It's uh, this is probably another worth think, an FAQ question. Yeah, um, I, yeah, that's but, interesting. I think the Clexus Assassin says it cannot be affected by sure. any psychic powers. So I think I think that it, wording might just mean that it can still get powers cast on it, but you would waste the powers on it, the power on it, because it, it would be affected by it. It raises the issue of you know what negated means right. and some other problems there. It's definitely worth an FAQ. My presumption would be was they they didn't mean for it to work that way, but it's definitely an arguable interpretation. Right, and then finally, uh, Zinch's firestorm. Now, this this power actually at first glance looks really bad. Um, you roll nine dice for an enemy unit within eighteen inches, and you suffer mortal wound for each roll of a six. Uh, so it's generally not going to be a lot of mortal wounds, one to two mortal wounds. Although uh, the thing yeah. I like about it is, even though it's warp charge value seven. Um, in the Zinch and the Thousand Suns, you know, faction, that's actually not too bad. And mm -hmm. you can give it to something like Magnus as well. Um, but you can target things that are not that are not the closest. Yes, um, which it's, is good. You, being able to pick your target is always strong. Uh, it's very unreliable because your throat you're looking for sixes. So unlike Smite, you, you're not guaranteed to do anything, but the flip side of that is just maybe you roll like four or five sixes and wipe out a character in a single shot. Right. Uh, it's it's a nice little tool to have, especially in combination with uh, Thousand Suns and Chaos in general, having a large number of spells they can throw at characters of their choice. Right. All right, guys. So... That's it for the factions. The faction rules. I think we got we got a lot of good meat and potatoes talk in there. Um, now we're going to talk updated point values. Um, so <laughs> for this, we're not going to go into each individual faction because that'll take potentially a whole nother there's, episode. There's so many then, things yeah. to talk about in there. Um, so so Sean and I are going to go back and forth on what we think um, the what highlight what points increases were actually really really important or any notable absences from points increases um, and how the meta, how we predict the meta is going to shape for the future. Um, so I'll start, Sean. Um, first right. and foremost, uh, GW made a clear statement. Lords of War <laughs> aren't going to be used in 
in 2000 point match play games. I, I think I think they made that pretty clear. Yeah, there's so many Lords of War that, you know, half again, double even more points that they essentially became unusable, especially the Forge World ones. Yes. Um, and, uh, and I think that would be my follow up would be that if Lords of War were sort of hit with the general sort of like, we do not want these in the game. Forge World was the second place winner for that prize. Uh, yeah. So many Forge World units just became untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. So so now uh, th- there's a impl- uh, tournament meta implication to this that I think you're going to see at the LVO in that uh, this very, very obvious points increase and very very obvious like stance on uh large lords of war in smaller point games not being allowed um is going to shape the way people build their lists and i think you're going to see a lot more infantry heavy lists i don't think you're going to see i think you're going to see less magnuses and less mortarians too because those are pretty much the only models that soak up those kind of high damage targets or those high damage shooting um which means i think people are just going to step away from those primarchs right um which it's means good possible it i've thought about that a bit and i'm not sure because which one of the lists you saw doing quite well was magnus mortarian renegade and knight. um well the renegade knight but also a uh, uh, a list of a million symbols the giant zinch bird oh uh, um, alphabet soup yes um Big Bird was a big component of how that worked because he was such a dangerous shooter and melee unit while being very, very tough. The Magnus Mortarian and a Knight version, I think, is a lot less scary. Um, not necessarily bad, like it's still a top tier tournament list, but it's it, if you're only putting two threats in the enemy's face instead of three, then that is more dealable. Yes, uh, I, I do agree. Um, so I think, guys... If you want to be an anti-meta person, um, I think bringing something like knights who got untouched, who, who left mm-hmm. unscathed, uh, or some big high-toughness targets that, that are also very good, I think that's very viable. I think um, outside of Dark Reapers, who can't really get past uh, two-up saves very well still, um, you're not going to see a lot of high-damage shooting. Maybe Devastator Marines, but I, but those are kind of falling out of favor. Gilliman they definitely are. Yeah, it's just, in general, with especially with the ITC Champions missions, uh, I think you're going to see a lot less Titanic you know, units at the LVO, if any. Mm-hmm. Um, which means, I think that might be, you know, might be a case for bringing, you know, dusting off a knight or two, right? If you can guarantee that your knight's not going to die every single game because your opponents are going to bring in these infantry heavy armies, um, you have this model that can just flat out dominate a spot of the board. Like, you can throw characters at them, you can throw, you know, blob hordes at them. If you have your own anti-horde uh, units in place, that knight is going to be a real pain in everyone's ass. Mm-hmm. A, a knight backed by appropriate infantry to continue scoring those ITC missions is a solid choice. It presents a big threat to your opponent that they need to deal with. Right. Um, now, as for points decreases, uh, Space Wolves got a lot of point decreases. Um, you could definitely feel like like they realized the Space Wolves faction um, needed a little bit of a boost. Uh, and that they're pretty much the the faction that got the most changes, um, because not only yeah. did they get the Primaris changes, but they got changes to all their characters. For all, it feels like all their characters, 
um, yeah. as well as all just, their special units. Just looking at it, I was like overwhelmed by just like every single Space Wolf model decreased in points or changed in points somehow. I haven't really been able to take that in, but my intuition is that a lot of them have gone down by a bit. Right. Um, which means Space Wolf players, unfortunately, it looks like you're probably not going to get a codex for a while. <laughs> it could uh, be a little bit. That's what it but looks like. They at least have access to most all of the tools that Space Marines have. So they may not be the best faction, but they're certainly not the worst. Right. And if you're looking for... Because uh, right now we're going to have a little bit of a revitalization with the Dark Angels and the Blood Angels coming out. So if you're looking mm -hmm. for a faction that isn't Ultramarines or Raven Guard, a Space Marine faction that isn't Ultramarines or Raven Guard, um, and you don't really like Blood Angels or Dark Angels, I think Space Wolves are kind of like a hidden gem. And uh, if you're yeah. a dedicated Space Wolf player, I think there's a lot of good stuff in, in this book particular for you. Well, like we talked about earlier with that stratagem and the aggressors, that right. is a really strong thing to be putting on the board. Yeah, and you also still have access to some of the best powers in the game. Yes. So that might be a viable option. Um, Death Guard Plague Burst Crawlers got cheaper. Um, they did. Which is I... interesting. Go ahead. It's, I, I was trying to get a feel for those. I haven't seen them on the table a lot, really but they good. have... They, I have not been super impressed by them so far, but that may be the players I'm playing with them rather than the unit itself. Yeah, that that, that might be true. Um, uh, in in my opinion, there's one player out here. Uh, oh, he actually lives in Arizona, Don Hoosen, um, who's playing mm -hmm. with Death Guard. He's he's been kicking people's asses with Plague Burst Crawlers. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's just their 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 damage output is solid, uh, and mm -hmm. they they have they're so hard to kill. And they're now they're cheap, so they're really easy to spam. Um, and just in a in a faction with with plague marines that can delete units and uh, mortarian and a bunch of tough like plague tough bubble wrap in the zombies and the play pox walkers. Um, right. It, it, you really have the tools to protect them from things that can charge them. Um, which Interesting. is a vehicle's real real weakness. Um, so yeah. You have these these vehicles that are really hard to kill with shooting. Uh, that put out a decent amount of shots, and I think they also have barrage shots too. I'm not 100% sure. Um, also Their mortar is barrage, yeah. Yes. Uh, so you have this decent, cheaper, relatively cheap, you know, barrage vehicle that's hard to kill in the shooting phase that you don't really want to charge because you know your opponents have so many close combat threats um, that mm -hmm. punish you for getting into their face uh, that that essentially you just can't do anything about. So you kind of just have to lose your, you know, whatever you're hiding, essentially, and maybe slowly lose objective game. Um, it also makes them a good counter to Tyranids, specifically against Hiveguard yes. and Biovores. Because um, they're multi-damage. It's very good for them. Right, yeah. They're multi-damage barrage weapons that are that can't be killed back by Hiveguard and Biovores, so they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe mm -hmm. with those Tyranid armies. And uh, that makes Death Guard, the Death Guard, pure Death Guard faction, a lot more viable. Which is which is a good thing. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how Death Guard kind of fields their army in the future. Here, uh, I've seen a couple different sorts of builds using the uh, the Plague Spitter flyers and some of the other things, but I don't think the community has really solidified that yet. Right. Um, <clears throat> I I think they I think they lowered Razoring Flock costs a little bit. I believe they're still fourteen. Yeah, they are. They're fourteen. Yeah, Sorry, that's they the 17. price they had. 
uh, they went from seven to 14 during the FAQ phase. Yeah. Uh, so they did not change. This really just solidifies that into a print version rather than an FAQ. Okay, fair enough. Um, now, uh, another faction I wanted to highlight that um, got a lot better with the chapter proof is uh, Orcs. Um, their Morkonaut got cheaper, which is which is not the best. Um, though, if you're trying to take an anti-meta Orc you know, unit, the Morkonaut is definitely something that can do that. Uh, but mm-hmm. specifically, their war tracks got cheaper. Um, war tracks yeah. are are actually really really good. Uh, they can outflank and they have scorches, so they which yes. are heavy flamers, and they're cheap. They're they're really cheap. They're cheap T five fast things. Um, so if you outflank these vehicles into you know terrain out of line of sight and then move them so that they can tie stuff up and roast things. I think that's something that orcs desperately need because previously before that, all you had was da jump to get into your opponent's mm-hmm. face. And uh, I guess storm boys, which, which can't really do it. I mean, they can do commandos, it really fast, but commandos were, are the, uh, the go-to yeah, cause then then Heffelfinger yeah. has, has used them a bunch to pretty good effect, right. but having access to the war tracks as well, I think is very useful to them. Right. Right. So, but th- that's, that's the, the big point is that, um, these war tracks are tougher than commandos. They're T five. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a better. They have heavy flamers, so they, I think they have better shooting. Um, yes. They have more wounds, and they're roughly the same points cost ish. I think they're a little bit more expensive, but you're getting a little more durability out of it. Um, uh, I think they come out a little bit cheaper per squad, but you're getting like fewer guns per unit, right. so it kind of works out. Right, right. But I think I think that commandos can probably get put aside for war tracks or maybe using both. And the reason why this is important is you don't need this unit to survive. Um, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you need it to uh, kind of put a little bit of pressure on your opponent. Like I'm going to, I'm going to tie up your limb and rest. I'm going to tie up this or that. I'm going to roast some conscripts. Like that's not, that's not really what they're there for. They're there to be distractions so that yes. you can get your, your hordes into your opponent and into your, uh, into your opponent's army. Right. Cause if you, if as an orc player, if you had any excuse to put your keep your opponent in their deployment zone, you're winning because you can either yes. spread out to objectives and win the objective game, or you can just keep them in a nice little spot for you to charge and kill them while your back units, like your your single orcs that are survived and running around, they can grab objectives. Um, but yeah, it's important to have those uh, small kind of disposable units that can run around and do jobs on the sides of your lines. Yeah. Um, Looking at this, uh, guard, guard got a lot of nerfs, uh, rightfully so. I don't think Primaris Psychers got nerfed enough. I think they only no, got like nine points. They f- still feel too cheap, especially in the context of the other changes that GW made to various smite battery units. Right. Um, so the Primaris Psyker went up some, but not enough to take it out of uh you know sort of the the obvious hq choice slot for a lot of guard armies yeah conscripts uh, they just (laughs) got hit again it feels kind of unnecessary at this point but it really just cements the fact that conscripts are no longer something people are going to field now now actually i disagree there's there's a guy um and he might just be a one-hit wonder but there's a guy in the, the league paul max um, who's been running one large unit of 30 conscripts, and then he buffs them, he gives them plus one to their save with the primary Psyker, minus mm-hmm. one to hit, and then another plus one to save from their stratagem. So you're looking at three up save conscripts with a minus one to hit, 
a thirty man unit that's still fearless right. with the um the Valhallans or the pistol. The pistol. The re- yeah. yeah the pistol. It's I, I I may have overstated that a little bit. They, you are not going to see large numbers of conscripts. No. You will probably still see a unit to act as board control because yeah. that's still an important role. And if they die turn one, well, that's just what happens. Yeah, and if but, your shoots at them, that's that's a mistake on your opponent's part. Um, so I yeah. think I think for that role, I, which is I think G, the role GW intended them to be in, I think GW mm-hmm. didn't want people to run. 120 conscripts and right. games like that. Although, although that does feel very guardy. Like I'm not, I'm not sure if that's anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, I feel like they want people to run more infantry squads than conscripts. And this will certainly push people towards that. Right. I, I mean, I guess it doesn't help that conscripts also don't have an official model anyways. So yeah. maybe that just rubbed GW wrong way. They're like, Oh, if you're going to run Arcadian infantry squads as conscripts, we're just going to make your conscripts so bad that you have to run them as infantry squads. Now, um, obviously right. I don't think GW did that, but it, it kind of feels that way, which is funny. It um, can. Yeah. <laughs> The the guard had a number of other price changes in in little things, which you know, rattlings went up a small amount. Uh, Meltaguns went up for some reason when you we have them on BS three up models, which they were kind of just worse than plasma anyways. So I don't really know why that happened. <laughs> but a lot of the other point changes kind of just tweaked things around. You'll probably still see most of the guard units that got changed to some degree, just not in quite as big of numbers. Yeah. So, um, well, are there any other factions do you think maybe got fact- shafted or um, need a little bit more needed a little bit more attention? We had already sort of touched on Tau, but uh, I think they are going to get changed to some degree, anyways. You know, they're going to see a codex at some point. Um, I feel like Necrons probably could have done with some price drops, but uh, it it's it's arguable whether that really would have helped them all that much. So maybe GW is taking a somewhat more cautious approach to some of this. Um, There were a lot of small point drops for a lot of the minor factions. You know, Harlequins saw some small point drops. Uh, Like we said, Space Wolves have a lot. Death Watch saw some interesting little price tweaks. But a lot of the point changes you saw in Chapter Approved are... Not like gigantic swings, except in the case of those Lords of War and whatnot. Uh, A lot of them were models going up by two points or five points or going down by two points or five points. Uh, And that's probably the the good call to make is play a little bit more conservative with this kind of stuff. If it's still – the unit is still a problem three months from now, they can change it again. Uh, but they don't have to make like a 10 point price increase on a model uh, just because people were using it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's smart. Um, now, moving on to the Forge World points value. So yeah, speaking speaking of um, small points increases and decreases, uh, Forge World both did and didn't do that. So uh, first off, I want to I want to premise everything I'm saying with. I think Forge World or whoever did the points values for Forge World, I think they in general did a really good job. Um, the things that I expected to go up went up, or i.e. the things mm-hmm. I needed to go up went up, and uh, some of the things that I think were being a little underused um, went down in points a little bit. So, 
you know, definitely... they certainly they certainly fixed the worst of the problems. I can give them that much at least. Yes, yeah. there was also a lot more points changes to the Forge World points values than to the regular book points values. Like the, yes. if you just turn between both the pages, um, both both points value changes have take up four pages, but the Forge World font seems like it's both smaller. Like there's more numbers. Like it just and. The or Forge World units in general, so like a much higher percentage of them got yeah, changed. That's true. Yeah. Um. So so some big big things uh that that I want to talk about. Uh, obviously, Malefic Lords got destroyed. Um, yeah. They're, they're eighty point eighty plus points now. They are pretty much. It, you pretty much don't want to take them now. At this, I point. would say they're borderline unusable. Yeah. Um. Which is considering what happened to the Primary Psyker. Um. Probably a bit unfair. Uh, considering that the <laughs> Malefic Lords didn't have access to to good psychic powers, they were just yeah. spite engines, and the primary psychers. A... <clears throat> Go ahead. It's a very strange choice to hit the Malefic Lord so hard, and admittedly, he does have some things going for him over the primary psyker. He's T four. He's got the four up invuln. He turns into a demon thing when he takes perils, but. On the other hand, like you say, the Primera Psyker has actual real psychic powers that you might want to cast, and the Malefic Lord just has three pieces of garbage and smites. Right now, I do have a, uh, I do have a, um, a little bit of a Forge World conspiracy theory here, um, and well? it's it's not it's not it's crazy. It's very very much unbased. Um, but the giant chaos spawn went up in points, um, mm -hmm. and the Malefic Lord went up in points by a lot. Uh, and there's a couple more, like like uh, Alphabet Soup went up in points. Um, yeah. What's there's one more that uh, Elysian went up in points. Um, yes. And the trend I found with these models is specifically at Nova and some of the other events I've attended. These are traditionally models that don't actually have Forge World models being used for them. For example, the Malefic Lords mm. are just like. Uh, cultists or like right. third party models because they're cheaper. Um, and the same thing for the the chaos the giant chaos beast. Like I I don't think I've ever once seen a giant chaos spawn model on the board. Actually, no, that's many not of true. those I one person. No. Good. Many of them are actually out of production or never yes. had a model to start with. That's that's true. Um. So, but but that's not true for like the Lucius pattern drop pod, which is out of production, right. disappeared off their website. But that went down in points, and that's still like it needed. Uh, actually, I think it did, went down in points. All drop pods went down in it points. Did, yeah. Uh. So I think that was part of sort of the general swath right. of things there. But but I just uh, it's definitely a little bit of conspiracy theory um going on. But um, I don't Forge think World... you're in entirely wrong there <laughs> gw certainly has made a push in recent years towards the like if it's not in the box it's not in the game right that's and true. even for forge world which kind of sidesteps that they feel like they are pushing towards this like oh if you're not buying it from us you're not using it right but but the other thing on the flip side is units like lias isodon um, mm -hmm. who is really, really good and maybe could have gone up in points, although I think he's fairly priced. Uh, but but the reason why I bring up Lias Isodon is because he's a very commonly used Forge World model that they don't mm -hmm. have a model for. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would... And he's also he's also very good. So I would have expected to see him maybe go up in points or some of the Forge World character, Badab Wars characters, go down in points because some of them are just so bad 
they're just you know unusable. Uh, yeah. So I would have expected think, that. Go ahead. Uh, the counter conspiracy is, you know, they're space marines and GW loves space marines, but I don't think that necessarily holds true. Like you say, no. a lot of the Beta War characters are not good at all. Yeah, no, they're they're. But um, that might also be another conspiracy. Like maybe they didn't update the Beta Wars stuff at all because they plan on discontinuing the entire Bad Ab Wars thing. Like I, I, I know nothing, it's guys. Possible. I don't have I don't have inside inside information. This is just me completely speculating. Um, but you know, there's just with Forge World, Forge World's a bit of a wild card. You never know, right? It uh, really is. Yeah, Forge World at the beginning of Eighth Edition it was very very shaky, and then they kind of released some points values and like, okay, they're cool. And then you know, people found Malefic Lords, and then nothing happened through several FAQs yeah. for months and months, and we're like, ooh, we don't know. And then Chapter Approved comes out, and they they blow up all the super heavies out of yeah. nowhere, um, but also change something. Like it's just Forge World's a wild card. It, hands it, down it is and it always has been it's it's hard to say what any given forge world unit is going to be worth in any given edition mm-hmm. because they're like you're just rolling the dice you never know what you're going to get right um so uh something else to note um something that's going to be very very important for those of you guys especially those of you playing at the las vegas open fire raptor gunships went down for both chaos space marines and space marines um they are i think now cheaper than storm ravens uh, at around 260, 270 points um, ish. I want to say they're a little more than that, depending on how you kit them right. out. I, uh, I have the feeling they're just over 300, which puts them cheaper than some Storm Ravens. You know what? I have, I have a, I have a, my Chaos Fire Raptor list. Hold on. Uh, Let me just. I don't actually use the Fire Raptor myself. I've seen it on the table a number of times. It's certainly a good vehicle. Uh, I think people are overstating how good it is right now. Uh, at the end of the day, it's still just uh, you know minus one to hit flyer, which people have the tools to deal with. But it's a good firepower source. Yeah. Um. So the Fire Raptor, if my points, it was two hundred ninety points with Reaper batteries, which are the more expensive uh, version. Okay. Those are the auto cannons. So. So yeah. so with the auto cannons it comes out to like 270 mid 270s um which okay. is I think storm ravens are now over 300 points. Uh the depending on how you kit them the las cannon multi melt storm raven oh, is like 350 yeah. the heavy bolter assault cannon one is like 295 or something around there. Yeah. So so in a world where fire raptors are cheaper than storm ravens um mm-hmm. I I think you can I think we can all kind of see that that's probably shouldn't have happened um in my opinion. Um, it was probably just another like GW didn't really think quite through exactly the pricing on a lot of things. It happens a lot, but the Fire Raptor is not so cheap that you're going to see them spammed everywhere. Yes. Um I, actually I disagree with that too. I think Oh really? Yeah, I think people are going to I think you're going to see a lot of Fire Raptors uh, Gilliman Fire Raptors, because because Gilliman plus two Fire Raptors, even though Gilliman went up in points, the Fire Raptors went down in points enough so that you're still spending around the same amount of points, um, and then you're just switching it. So instead of spending Gilliman and two Storm Ravens, you're just spending Gilliman and two Fire Raptors, and the points costs come out to about the same. Uh, though you have more sure. Daka and you have less abilities to kill things because their missiles are a little worse than the Storm Raven missiles. Um, yeah, but uh, you have more Daka. You do, which is a nice tool to have. 
and you certainly will like you're going to see a bunch of people bring two, three, four, five fire raptors to LVO. I don't think those people are going to make it to the top tables you're in right. most cases. That's, you're right. That's a gatekeeper army. There's a, yes. If you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, a gatekeeper army, they're the armies that consistently do well. They go, you know, in six round terms, they go four and two, five and one, um, but they never make the top tables and they never win the event. Uh, be, mm-hmm. And these, these armies are tend to be the ones that are most net listed uh, and most common because they, they are, easily like they, they are easy to see how powerful they are and they're easy to run um so you see mm-hmm. them often right so those are gatekeeper armies um there's a very common gatekeeper army right now on the east coast floating around it's three fire raptors magnus and mortarian that's the list and, and <laughs> i've seen several people horrors. uh yeah i've seen people propose that and my thought is always like so you're tabled on turn three is really what's happening here yeah yeah because uh, good lord boots on the ground is gonna kill you yeah, yeah so so i think what those lists do um piloted by good players i think they they just basically uh they obviously will kill a lot of things like that magnus mm-hmm. and mortarian combined aren't aren't easy to kill but i think what they do is they they leave reserve points and then when magnus and mortarian are about to die they just pop out like a unit of nurglings like okay boys mm. do go go be go hide and, and stop me from getting tabled um and right. then whenever whenever that happens they just like pop out another unit of nurglings i think that's probably the smartest way to run them um that way you're just you know mortarians like pooping nurglings and magnus is mm-hmm. pooping brimstone horrors um but it's it's a it's a really it's a perfect example of a gatekeeper list um it's yeah. a hyper extreme version of a list uh, and it, it's very unfun. It's very, very power gamery, um, and it's very easy to run. It's only five models plus chaff, so it's very easy to to find those models. You borrow your friend's Magnus, you borrow your friend's Fire Raptor, you buy a Fire Raptor, you have a Mortarian, and then you borrow another Fire Raptor or you buy another Fire Raptor. It's, mm-hmm. it's very easy to to obtain. The the key with a list like that is that it will do really well against many things, and then there's a couple things that'll just fold up and die too. Yeah. And that's why they don't make round six with all wins. It's like they run into that orc horde list, and it's just like, well, fuck, I got nothing. Yeah, right. I, like, oh, I can't kill all your horde. Although I think that yeah. army would, though, fire raptors would do really well against an orc horde list. Um, though the thing, because they're chaos fire raptors, they don't have power yeah. of machine spirit. So something like uh, a Tyranid list with like 60 or 80 or 90 oh, dots yeah. with a minus one to hit, you're not going to you're not gonna kill that list. If Magnus and Mortarian go up close, no. Swarmlord and Gene Steelers, they're just going to go in there, mess them up. Uh, the You can also move block them with Biovore uh, spores. They can fly yep. over the spores, but you can still kind of move block them and manipulate where they're going to go. The right. Hive Guard double shooting can kill Magnus or Mortarian or a Fire Raptor. It's just... Mm-hmm. That list would just fall to a Tyranid list. It would just look at the Tyranid list and be like, "Okay, well, here's my loss. I'll see you. I'll see you at the at the, in the top sixteen, like I always am." You know, anyways. right? That's that is really the essence of the gatekeeper list. Is there's just great against eighty percent of the field and loses to twenty percent of it. Right. Um. Now the back to the updated points values for Forge World. Um. Mm-hmm. They updated some other things specifically the repressor the sword as repressor um, yeah which I thought was was needed because that 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 first off i think that that whole i think that whole uh 
uh, data slate needs to be rewritten for the repressor. It's <laughs> so badly written. Shaylin, who I play against pretty consistently, uh, runs a Sororitas contingent in her army, and the repressor is just a mess of rules. But even with the points increase, it's still a good vehicle. Does she still run cat scripts? Not anymore. Not Aww. since they got a lot of the changes. Darn. They got they yeah. She had the the commissar herding cats in her army for a long time, that was so funny. but no more. Yeah. Uh, she does still have a single cat sniper in her one infantry squad, though. <laughs> just as a nice little callback to that. Nice. Um, it's the one carrying the Magnus horns. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So so uh so there's some there's some points. The the Lehman Russes got their points changed a little bit for the guard, um, but mm-hmm. in general, if you have you have a faction and you have Forge World units, um, most likely you got points changed to your army one way or another, and more likely than not, unless you have a big super heavy thing, um, you got probably got some points decreases on on little things on little Forge World things that you wouldn't think, um, and that's going to completely shift the game wildly. Like it's it's pretty much unpredictable. Forge World is unpredictable as a wild card, and the fact that there's so many points decreases in the points values for Forge World in Chapter Approved uh, means that you're going to catch people off guard. You're going to take units that were previously okay and are now good that no one expects. I think that's going to be very common. There's going to be a few sneaky ones that make their way in there. You know, the Fire Raptor, the Sikaran uh, Punisher definitely got a lot better, and you may start seeing some of those on the table. But I think the general takeaway from the Forge World section is you're going to see a lot less Forge World on the tables in general. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's as opposed to, you know, malefic lords and nonsense before um, you are occasionally going to see a Forge World unit rather than that being sort of like the mainstay of a lot of chaos armies yeah. and whatnot. Uh, all right. Final thoughts on Forge World. Um, uh, I, Shadow Spectre's got nerfed. I'm very glad about that. Uh, and yeah, then I've, got, I've got one weird thing. Um, the Tantalus, the Dark Elder Tantalus, I actually mm-hmm. don't think it should have gone up in points. Uh, it did not it, need it. No, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it belongs with the other super heavy. You know, like if you look at like the Porf- the Knight Porphyrion, the Warlord mm-hmm. Titan, the Fellblade, you know, uh, Alphabet Soup. Like, there's all these big, giant, crazy apocalypse units, right? The Tantalus just doesn't. You know, you know, you don't see an Apoc game. You don't see like ten Tantaluses flying up the board at a warlord titan like the warlord titan is just going to laugh at them and kill them all like the tantalus is just two raiders strapped together it is. it's not it's not an apocalypse it doesn't feel like an apocalypse unit so it shouldn't no. have gotten the apocalypse treatment on the flip side shout out to the orc kill tank for being the oh, only yeah. orc super heavy unit to get to go up in points while the rest <laughs> of them all stayed the same which i thought was super funny <clears throat> the Gargan Swigoth. Good. Yeah. It's a weird choice. I I've seen people use the kill tank a couple of times, but I don't feel like it needed the the nerf. It was not that good. No. I, I maybe they forgot that the Gargan Swigoth and the uh the big plane bomber and the uh the oh, giant yeah. the big fat super stompa. I, I mm-hmm. think they forgot that those models existed. Um Yeah. Because the the orc super heavies got were untouched, but meanwhile, like the tantalus went up in points. Um, right. 
Who who the hell was so worried about the Tantalus that they're like, we've got to make one of the two Dark Eldar units worse? Yes. Yeah. Ab- it's bizarre. Absolutely. Um, And then finally, the Malanthrop went up in points. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that model is I... so good. I think you will still see oh, them. Yeah. Even at 140 points, that aura is still good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's no longer the HQ that does everything and also brings a bag of chips to the party. Yeah, now it, now it just doesn't have the bag of chips. Yeah, itself, pretty much. Which is still fine. Um, and no. that's pretty much it. Do you have any last thoughts on the points value changes, Sean? I don't think the points value changes are fundamentally altering the the meta a lot yes they change the way that chaos is going to play but that just means they're going to be taking heralds instead of malefic lords uh it means they're going to be taking a knight instead of alphabet soup the basic way the meta works is still pretty similar to where it was before all of these changes it's going to make the game less awful for some people but it's not going to change the top lists that's a that's a good point the thing that are going to change the top lists are the codexes those are those yes. are going to dramatically shift now um a little bit of a a little bit of a segue not segue but a little bit of a divergent away from your point sean which is actually a very good one um Mm. it's i think blood angels um the trend that that i've seen blood angels um because obviously we you know we have the blood angels codex because we are uh we are um an advertiser of of fl or of uh, gw right so people Mm -hmm. people like us get the codexes early so we can review them before the pre-sale um that's just the way it works it's not a big secret um but from the trends I've seen from the Blood Angels book, are they look like they counter Tyranids really well? Um, they look like they match yeah. up really well against Tyranids and and um, Chaos kind of a little bit more, a little bit less, but they, they look like they match up really well against Tyranids because they have the the characters who can jump over the hordes. They can first off they can kill the hordes really well. Um, they can spam yes. a lot of bodies that Tyranids can't really deal with, uh, and then they have the shooting I... to kill Gene Stealers. Go ahead. No, I was, yeah, I was sort of like they're very good at clearing out hordes with their basic guys, especially like, you know, Death Company and stuff like that. Right. And I think that's pretty big these days. Yeah, and their characters can jump over those hordes and snipe Malanthropes and tie up Hiveguard, something yes. that you need to do. So I, I feel like Blood Angels can counter Tyranids really well, Um, and I mm-hmm. don't know enough about Dark Angels to make um any sort of predictions. But if, if the GW Codex trend continues like this i think we're gonna see a counter to blood angels and the dark angels maybe the dark angels are gonna have something cool that the blood angels just can't crack or i don't know what well that you know those those multi-damage plasma with the stratagem so is gonna be real nasty for a yeah. lot of folks like yeah. i'm just sort of thinking about like a unit of their uh their bikes with the twin plasma on the front. Like that's terrifying to imagine them putting out, you know, two damage without overheat or three damage. If you go overheat, uh, on a bunch of vehicles, that's just, that's absolutely horrifying. Yes. Um, so, you know, you're absolutely right, Sean, the chapter approved points haven't changed the meta a lot. They've tweaked it, which I think is a positive. Um, no, it's, it's it's definitely a good thing overall that they are being relatively cautious about this sort right. of thing. And that's something you see in common good game design. Uh, I'm going to use Wizards mm-hmm. of the Coast and Magic because I, I 
I use them a lot. Uh, oh, they're a good examples. example. Yeah, they're a great <laughs> example. But uh, they, they, their mantra when they're changing rules and adding things to the ban list is that they don't want to change the meta too much. They, you know, they want to mm -hmm. keep very consistent changes. They maybe want to kill one over centralizing deck, which uh, GW did do. They they killed Malefic Lord spam, which is mm -hmm. over centralizing um, uh, a lot. Malefic Lords were everywhere. So so GW did what they were supposed to do to tweak and pull back the over-centralizing list that you saw everywhere, um, and then did a little bit more, they went a little bit further, and they did a little bit more to boost other units to make them a little bit more viable to increase uh, variety. Um, something that in game design you don't really need to do, uh, but they did it. So it's, it's, it's good. I think it's a good positive change. Yeah, it shows that they sort of have at least a some awareness and understanding of what's going on and are willing to work to try and bring the game towards a better middle ground, which I appreciate. Yes, absolutely. All right, that's it for the chapter approved review. Sean, you have been a wonderful and informative co-host. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Pablo. It was good to talk. All right. If you guys like Sean, if you guys like his talking, um, he's very, very knowledgeable of the game. If you like everything coming out of his mouth, um, email me. Let him know. Uh, I, I'm having a co-host. I'm having multiple co-hosts come on the show up until the LVO, um, just because I want to find a steady co-host to help out with my podcast. Um, so if you like Sean, let me know. Also, if you like Sean, go to FrontlineGaming.org. And 3++ plus plus is the new back. Uh, look up his name, Abuse Puppy. That's his tag, his uh, author tag, almost a gamer tag. Um, but author <laughs> tag, uh, and he's written a lot of really good articles, not just articles about Tau, but just in general, a lot of really good articles with a lot of information, uh, which is one of the reasons why I wanted him to come on the podcast. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. That's going to be it for this ep or for this review. After the break, I'll bring in Reese and interview him. Uh, though, small caveat, Reese is a very wriggly worm, hard to, to pin down, um, can be flaky sometimes. He's a very busy guy. So if after the commercial, you hear my voice only and no Reese, that means that I couldn't get Reese for an interview, um, though he did say he would. So hopefully we got that. Sean, is there any last words you'd like to add? No, I think you cover pretty much everything. Like I, like you said, I write a bunch of stuff for Frontline and for 3++. That's where you'll find most of my articles at. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to email me if you want list advice. See you after the break. Are you looking for a good Christmas present for your family? I don't mean your biological family, and I don't mean your friends. I mean your plastic family. Yes, your Warhammer 40k army. If your family is in need of support and more troops, head on over to Frontline Gaming Secondhand Shop on eBay, where you can find great deals at low, low prices for all of the 40k range. Or, if you're not interested in secondhand items, head on over to FrontlineGaming.org where you can buy GW product new inbox for 15% off MSRP. Thank you guys, and happy holidays. Hello everyone, and we're back from the break. Unfortunately, I was unable to get a hold of Reese to record. Uh, the Slippery Devil just got past me. That's okay, I'll get him in an interview probably next week. Um, but I did get a moment to talk to him 
before we left uh, for home on on Friday, just to get his thoughts on chapter approved. And essentially, uh, what what he told me is a lot of armies got a lot of good things, right? Uh, the, as Sean and I mentioned, you know, Tau got something new, Space Wolves got something new. Everyone, everyone who doesn't have a codex in the immediate future uh, got something cool and something new. Um, so essentially, what he wanted me to tell everyone was. If you are unhappy about the book, if you're unhappy about chapter approved, if you're unhappy with what your faction got, uh, to first, uh, be positive. Uh, your faction, no matter what, no matter what your faction is, your faction got better. Because adding things to your faction, adding options, especially stratagems, warlord traits, relics, good free options that you can take, is, is always better. It always makes your faction better. And, and though... It might look a little bleak. Uh, maybe certain models didn't get their points reduced, or, or maybe some models got their points increased, and you feel like they're unplayable. As as and I think Reese is correct. Uh, we agree that I think we think every codex has a viable option, as a, a good competitive viable option, a list that'll make you feel both happy to play your own faction and also make you feel confident that you can take on. The, some of the powerhouse lists that you'll see at tournaments, uh, which was not the case in Seventh Edition. If you remember Seventh Edition, that we, you know there were Death Stars, Battle Company, Eldar felt very unwinnable for certain armies. The, a lot of those key lists that you saw were not only the same and not only unfun and unfluffy, uh, but they were also very constrictive, uh, and they they when play when people played them they really felt like they couldn't do anything at all and that they lost in the list building phase uh, which i think in eighth edition especially with the chapter approved book is not the case so basically uh, be positive don't worry chapter approved is is uh, a fix and you will get more codexes and you get more stuff in your codex uh, but for now take what gw gave you it's still good it's still more options and get to brewing Make those lists. See what you can do. Because uh, we're already finding powerful combinations. And that's nothing compared to what we're going to see at the Las Vegas Open. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening and have a good one.